This program is sponsored by Wilsey Asset Management. Welcome to your commercial-free, uninterrupted investment show. Sponsored by the SEC-registered investment firm, Wilsey Asset Management, a fiduciary firm owned and operated by President Brett Wilsey, who has been putting clients' investment needs first for over 40 years. The Smart Investing Show has been giving unbiased financial information for over 27 years on local radio stations right here in San Diego, providing you with fundamental analysis on stocks and investments you want to know about. Now, here are your hosts, Brent and Chase Wilsey. Good morning and welcome to the Smart Investing Show. I'm Brent Wilsey, just about 8.02 on Saturday morning. Great to have you here this Saturday morning and every Saturday morning talking about uh, your money, investing, the economy, financing, all these things to make you a smarter investor. And with me, as always, is uh, Chase Wilsey. He's still putting his uh, headset on. We got a bad headset this morning, I think, didn't we? Yep. Yeah, that's what I thought it was. So, uh, And I just kind of kept rolling, rolling, like, oh, shoot, he's not quite ready yet, but are you ready now? So. I'm good. I'm fumbling around over yeah. here, but and I hope you, the you, the listener, are ready because we've got a lot to, to cover in the next two hours. Going to talk about what's going on last week or the past week in the economy. Take your calls as always on the Smart Investing Show. And now I'm not ready. I where, where'd my my sheet go on the phone numbers? Um, I thought for sure I brought those out. I guess I well, there they are. Here's a phone number. <laughs> it is eight six six five seven seven. Two four seven three. That's eight six six five seven seven two four seven three. And as always, that will get you through for your unbiased, no strings attached, but an opinion about what you want to talk about. And Chase, we got some mix-ups going on now with our system from uh, Knowledge Reuters. Uh, they're changing things or upgrading. Uh, we're gonna flip things around if the Apple's still working. Is that that's uh, good? That's good. Yeah. So, so Reuters actually changed things. We're we're trying to work with them on the change. So, actually, today Chase is gonna be reading the first part of of uh, or analyzing the first part of uh, the company with uh, the valuation ratios, the growth rates, profitability, all, all those important things, because he has it on Apple. We do not have it on the Microsoft side. So I'll be talking about uh, the rest of the company, you know, what the values are going forward, what it, where it stands, and so forth. So a little little change up today on on the uh, assignments. So, but uh, still the same great information you always get. And then next week we could have something even completely different. We'll see what happens next week. So absolutely. Uh, and I, I do want to mention it. It can't be. There can't be a workshop coming up Thursday, is there? Yes, it's coming up quick. I mean, it's crazy how quickly time's going. Yeah, well, okay, so I just want to verify that. Yeah, because it is going to be September 23rd. That is a Thursday workshop that we hold to try to make you a smarter investor. And there's so many things. I can't even bring out all the things we talk about because we just kind of roll on different things. And we'll talk more uh, here in the morning about different things going on now. But the, the workshop really is designed to show you everything we do, how we've managed money, how I've managed money for uh, 40 years now. I share everything with you. I show you what not to do, what to do, but what you need to do, you want to find out more about it, go to our website, smartinvesting2000.com. That's smartinvesting2000.com. 
can sign up right there. It is free. It'll be, again, Thursday night, 6 o'clock <clears throat> in Script Ranch. You can also call the office at 858-546-4306. That's 858-546-4306. Well, Chase, let's talk about uh, what uh, went on last week. And there was a kind of a crazy week. And I think people are starting to get a little bit nervous. Like, oh, the correction is really coming. <laughs> it's here. I better sell out now. We don't recommend you do that if you got the right companies. But hopefully... <clears throat> We are due for some warm weather uh, this winter as heating costs look to be very, very expensive since uh, President Biden has taken uh, taken office. Natural gas prices have climbed, I can't believe this number, 94%, which would mark the largest increase since 2000. Now, natural gas is used to heat over 50% of a U.S. homes. And for those who use electricity to heat their homes, well, it's important to realize that natural gas is a major component of the electric grid as it provides 40% of the electricity generation in 2020. Things are changing. Yeah, I mean, well, <clears throat> things have been that way for a while. A lot of people don't realize that, oh, it's electric, it's good. Well, actually, a lot of fossil fuels are used <laughs> to generate electricity, including coal, natural gas, yeah. oil. <laughs> if you actually look at the breakdown of the electric grid, I don't know if it's as green as many people think it is. So, uh, and it, it is kind of changing. It has improved over time with, yeah. uh, you know, solar and wind and, you know, those kind of renewable energy sources becoming more and more of it. But, yeah, it, it is interesting when you actually look at the current numbers of the electric grid. Um, but did want to kind of talk about the current supply situation of natural gas. I mean, it's not looking good as it is 16.8% below last year's levels. And, you know, last year, again, COVID was a strange time. So, okay, maybe that makes a little bit of sense. But look at the five-year average. It's 7.2% below where that is. And with Hurricane Ida hitting 90% of natural gas output, over 78% of the Gulf of Mexico's production is still offline. And then we just did, and this is just as of last week. The, yeah, this, yeah, this most recent week here. So, I mean, it, it's it's something that's not coming back. I mean, you, you got to idle those um, kind of, I don't, don't want to call them factories, the machines and everything else to produce the mm -hmm. uh, natural gas. And now all of a sudden it's, taking a while to kind of get back, which, of course, is not beneficial to supply. And, you know, I, I hate to say it, but an administration that is against fossil fuels, I, and there's no denying that, they don't right. want fossil fuels. I, I don't think that the supply situation is going to get any better here with the kind of natural disasters that we've seen over the last few weeks, last few months. And uh, I think prices are, are going to continue to climb, which could mean a, a heavy bill for you if you're trying to heat your home this winter. And I'm, I'm, I like gas cars. I, I will never drive an electric car. We've talked about this before, but I'm not against things changing and it is hard sometimes, but you have to, I think, have things develop naturally. Cause when you start pushing things the way this is being done, um, you're going to cause disruptions, problems, higher prices. And there's a lot of people that I, I, I just had a friend out from New York uh, last week, uh, I know that now back in late September, October, it starts to get cold. So they're going to start turning on their heater. They're going to see a big expense there, which is is not what they were ready for on top of everything else that you have now. with uh, I think inflation just came out. We talked about that, I think, last week. But how, you know, food costs, some are up 20, 30 percent. Energy, we know that's up. I mean, here's another thing that the consumer is going to be burdened with, especially back uh, east, Midwest, where it gets cold, that they are not going to see their utility bills uh, rise not just two or three percent, but could be 20, 30, maybe even 40 percent this winter on uh, utility bills. 
And you know what the administration is going to do? They're going to blame the utility companies. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, which is, and again, I say this all the time, I wish that to be in office you had to have a degree in economics because you can't blame the utility companies. They're just a, a factor of producing it. And, and I was reading last night um, that the problem is we can't produce enough. Why is that? There's still COVID kind of going out there, so they can't get the people to come in. Um, you can't get, and I forget the number, but to transport goods now from China, do you see the graph? No, I have not. It, it's In terms of time or cost? Cost. Yeah. It's up like 2,000%. I mean, it's just like, and now again, that's a small part of moving something. But again, if you're building a, we'll say a car, well, it's not just the car being shipped, could be built here, but you've got the steel that has to be shipped. The chips. The chips. Um, the rubber, the I mean, all these raw materials have to come in. So that's going to, a little bit, a little bit, a little bit here adds up to, wow, this is a big increase. So um, I, I, I just think that they're trying to do, in their opinion, a good thing to make the world a cleaner place. We won't talk about how crazy India and China is around the world, but I, I get that part. But you've got to do it in a much better way because the consumer is going to pay for it. And there's going to be higher inflation. And, and do you hear the, the latest thing? Well, transitory. Is that 12 to 24 months now? <laughs> Maybe 36. I don't know. And, and, I, mean, <laughs> and I, I will say we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. I, I kind of talk about, you know, placing blame uh, upon the utilities. And people need to realize that this is not the utilities. They're going to increase yeah. prices and it's not necessarily their fault. They're having these higher input costs and they you know, pass that along to the consumer. I don't know if you saw this, but we talked about on the show the um, food companies that the administration was saying, this is just ludicrous how they're increasing prices and gouging customers and they shouldn't be doing that. Well, the food companies fired back and said, you must not be looking at the labor shortage that we're, yeah. we're battling against, the transportation costs. I mean, I'm glad they fired back because, yeah, it's not our fault that we're paying. <laughs> I don't know if it's 2,000 times or <laughs> whatever you just said there, 2,000% more <laughs> Than what it was last year, but I mean, they've had to battle against these input costs increasing. And and the only natural thing you can do to protect your company, protect your shareholders, is increase prices. You got to pass those costs along, or else you'll be out of business because you can't afford to lose money every single quarter. Uh, that just can't happen. So, and, and it's not. And there's so many truck drivers. That's another big factor they have. I mean, it's the transportation's hurting. They can't find truck drivers to drive the trucks. They may have the the tank filled with expensive gasoline or diesel, but then they can't get somebody to drive the truck from here to there. So it is not the food companies. They're just passing along what it is. And again, if you have, I'll just say a shipment's going to be $1,000 normally, and you want to get that shipment, they say, hey, there's nobody to, to do it. Well, well, look, I'll pay $1,100. I'll pay $1,200. I'll, I'll pay whatever it takes to get that in my store because if I don't, I got nothing in my store to sell. Okay. So, And I've done I've done that. I'm, I'm sure everybody has. When you want something... Or you need something. Or you need something. You say, well, what does it cost to get it? Yeah. I'll pay it. I don't care. And that causes inflation. But there's a shortage of stuff at the baseline level with raw materials, transportation, everything else. So. Yep. And then that's that's why I, I just, the transitory, I don't know if they're going to be talking about transitory inflation. As you said, 12, 18, 24 months from now, it's yeah. like, oh, this inflation, is it's transitory. <laughs> it's like. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and and I wonder how much was political because of the fact that we said this months ago. We just don't see how it can be transitory because of what the root cause of it was. So we'll 
we'll see. We're still standing behind our thing that it's not transitory, well, unless you call it 24 months transitory. Oh, and I, I'm going to maintain that transitory, yes, 6, 7, 8%, that's transitory, but a sustained rate of like 4%, I, I think, it, or 35 4%, I, I think is a, a realistic expectation that, that could occur. But yeah, maybe it's transitory that it's extremely elevated right. from like <clears throat> the high, high level. I don't see how, I, I will say, I, I know like the PPI came out at 8.1%. I don't think we're going to have 8% inflation for the next 24 months. I, I don't see that. I think mm-hmm. it, it's, again, going to be around about 4% is, is kind of what I'm expecting. And I, I will say, and I hate to say this, but it could be higher than that. because I don't see 8%. I, I mean, anything could happen. I mean, look at the 1970s. Right. We say people didn't think that that was going to occur where yeah. you had double-digit inflation. It did. But I... I think it's possible, but unlikely. Is you see eight, ten percent. Right. I I don't see that. Well, and that. hopefully the, the administration kind of sees what's going on and, and can do things to uh, prevent that from happening. Because if you don't prevent it from happening, it will happen. You will have higher inflation because prices begot higher prices. Because if you can't fix the distribution problem, the raw materials problem, and I do believe that now that that higher unemployment for the federal is gone. Hopefully that'll bring in more truck drivers, more people working at the factories to produce the goods to get them out. So we'll we'll see. I'm 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 not saying it's definitely going to happen, but I see if things don't get better, improve from the administration, that we could have a higher inflation. And maybe they say, well, six to eight percent inflation is not bad. That's transitory. <laughs> I would hate to see that, but that's possible. Uh, let's move on. Talk a little bit on investing here, because when watching the news uh, last week, I noticed how excited some people were. Over Microsoft announcing a $60 billion stock buyback and an increase in dividend. Again, $60 billion, a lot of money. Like, wow, that's, that's a big thing. But before we get too excited here and run out and buy the stock, we got to take a look at the numbers. With a current market cap of about $2.28 trillion, $60 billion would be just 2.6% of the shares outstanding. Yeah, I mean, also with the stock trading at nearly 30 times next year's earnings, I, I, I don't believe buybacks would be a good use of capital at these expensive levels. I mean, when, when you're trading at a high multiple, I've talked about this before on the show, most of the time that means you can find growth. You're, yeah. You should have opportunities to invest capital that's going to grow your company at a faster rate. Not buy back stock. Stop, buying back stock is normally, I'm going to say, reserved for, for value companies that are trading at low multiples to kind of generate earnings growth. Not a company that's trading at 30 times earnings that's a very, very expensive. I mean, that sounds like to me, oh gosh, we don't have any more opportunities or not as much opportunity for growth as we did a few years ago, which I, I think is problematic. Uh, but also, too, I, I do want to say, as for the dividend, the quarterly payment was increased. Yes, 11%. Oh, my That's gosh. That's a big increase. So exciting. <laughs> to $0.62 cents each quarter. This would make the current yield about 0.8%. I mean, I, I just think the stock is too expensive to make the buyback and dividend increase an enticing opportunity for investors here. Now, I, I hope people sit down because I'm going to say that Microsoft could fall. Everybody thinks, oh, Microsoft is going to go to the moon like everything else, like uh, Apple and Netflix, everything else. But Microsoft could fall now. If it were to fall 20, 30%, which is not, if you look in history, that's not abnormal. You would then get a decent dividend, decent valuation ratios. The problem is everybody loves Microsoft. Now, what's going to change that? I don't know. But doing this for 40 years, I've seen it over and over again. You got these companies, they start doing silly things of buying back stock at high prices. 
And then that looks really bad in the balance sheet down the road. So let's say the stock goes to $250. Oh my gosh, how could Microsoft trade at 250? Very, very possible. Um, now you have the company that bought stock at, we'll say, 300, even 290. Why did they do that? I, I just don't like growth companies buying their stock back because you're supposed to be growing, buying back your own stock. And I think they did it to show like, wow, look how great we are. We can yeah. buy our stock back. But when you do the numbers again, what was it, 2.6% of the out shares yeah. outstanding? That's not going to move the needle at all. We we like to see if we see a, a good stock buyback, at least 10 to 15%. We see an announced, then you see a nice bump in the stock. This is more just like a pat on the back, like, hey, good job. Yeah, yeah. And I, I know we're going to do a, a Facebook post on this next week, but I, I don't think we'd talk about it on the show next week. So I do want to address it now as like a, for a comparison mm -hmm. is a company called Diamondback Energy. Their ticker symbol is FANG, F-A-N-G. Haven't gone over the fundamentals for the company. Don't know exactly if it would be a buy or sell or not. Uh, maybe somebody will want to talk about that today. But they also announced a stock buyback, and it's $2 billion. And it's like, well, Microsoft said theirs is $60 billion. Diamondback Energy, $2 billion. That's way smaller. But you look at the market cap of Diamondback Energy at $15 billion, Two billion of fifteen billion is thirteen percent of the mm -hmm. shares outstanding, versus Microsoft again sixty billion at two point three trillion. We'll call it two point six percent. Thirteen percent is ten percent <laughs> higher <laughs> above. If you well, I guess it's not ten percent above. Numbers can always get tricky, but yeah. you know it's much much greater than the two point six percent. And that can move the needle because that can actually when you buy that many shares, again the two billion dollars yeah. of that percent, you said it was about 13-14%, you think of yeah. approximately. Um, that's going to increase the earnings per share because now you have less shares outstanding. And what that will do, increase earnings per share, lower the PE ratio. Wow, uh, this is on value. But what's going to happen with Microsoft? You, you okay, so it's gonna you know increase the earnings per share by few percent maybe it's not going to change the multiple at all now if yeah. they now microsoft and i think they had them on say 150 to 200 billion dollars in cash if they were to do a gosh, even 120 billion dollars that'd be about five percent of the stock that would be something that could move the needle but i think it'd be a very foolish move to do because the stock's so expensive yeah yeah no I, I, absolutely and i did want to bring up too is um you know kind of find this conversation interesting here. We, we actually did go kind of a deeper dive on the stock buyback and also uh, the, the fundamentals of Microsoft on our YouTube channel. So mm. I kind of want to take a closer look at that YouTube channel. Again, just go to YouTube, look for Smart Investing with Brent and Chase Wilsey. And you can see, again, our weekly stock analysis, what we call it. It was Microsoft this week because I thought the buyback was interesting, made some uh, big news there, wanted to take a closer look. So again, just go to YouTube, type in Smart Investing with Brent and Chase Wilsey, and you can subscribe there. So you can get uh, access to our weekly stock analysis videos there. Yeah, and actually that uh, subscription is going up quite nicely, I, I believe. Yeah, yeah, we picked up a yeah. nice subscribers. And there's no place else that I've seen on the YouTube or anywhere else that you can get that type of information. But you want to talk about the hype, like, oh, this is going to do this. We're talking about, well, let's step back and kind of analyze this a little bit before we say it's a great buy and explain to you. That's the other thing too. People don't explain why. I, and I see this guy on uh, Fox Business all the time. Mahaney, I think his name is. Oh, well, they're doing this. So they're going to uh, increase this. So therefore, it's gonna go, the stock's going to go up. There, there's no rhyme or reason. It's just yeah. kind of like the hype of it. We kind of explain to you and try to help you think things through in a logical manner 
that maybe it doesn't make sense. And it doesn't ever mean, we say that here, when somebody calls in, we say, well, it's very pricey. doesn't mean it won't go up in price, but you are overpaying for it. And eventually nothing stays, eventually things will come down because nothing stays at the, the top forever there. So, yeah, absolutely. Well, let, let's move on, talk about the economy a little bit here. Uh, I continue to maintain that the economy is in good spot and retail sales continue to improve to uh, that point. Uh, the headline number saw an increase rose 0.7% last month to 600, uh, $618.7 billion. That doesn't sound right. $618. Billion. Yeah, that's, that's the way you say it. Uh, this far exceeded the estimate, which was a decline of 0.8%, easily tapped the number, topped the number, last year's number, uh, by 15.1%. Yeah, I mean, the, the area that was really the star of the show here was clothing and clothing accessories, which rose 3.3% compared to the previous month, and while 38.3% compared to last year. But again, last year, clothing and clothing accessories really struggled, so easy comparison. Uh, also, doesn't really come as a surprise as back-to-school shopping was likely the major contributor there. And, you know, you look at last year, there was no back-to-school shopping because it was all online. So people, well, why would I go shopping for back-to-school? I think you had a bunch of pent-up demand because these kids hadn't seen their friends and, you know, quite a while. It's like, I got to look good gotta for back-to-school. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't seen these people in so long. And, uh, Hate to say it, but it's got to make sure my wardrobe max matches my mask. You know? <laughs> you. I, I have heard people say that, like, oh, I have like different masks to go with different. I'm like, wow, that's taking it to a whole new level there. I, I, I could say something, but well, no, I mean, it's okay. I think women always do dress nicer than men. Yeah. So I'm sure that mostly the women do it. I think there's very few men that say, oh, my, my mask has to match my tennis shoes I, but, I, <laughs> but i can see a woman doing i've seen some women look very good uh doing yeah. that so if you gotta do it you gotta do it nicely there so um, but i, I did want to say too even, even with the stimulus packages winding down with all the money in the economy i i i, I again think that, that we're oh there's no you know stimulus anymore these people are really struggling it's gonna dent these people um and dent the retailers and things like that i just think there's so much money still out there that i continue to believe we will see strength through this year, and I still think 2022 is going to be a fine year. I don't, I don't think you're going to see the same type of growth numbers. But again, I think it's going to be what we call a deceleration. It's not yeah. a decline, just growth at a, a slower rate. And I do want to address that, but before I do that, I do want to give it the phone numbers. We are going to open all the phone lines: eight six six five seven seven two four seven three. That's eight six six five seven seven two four seven three i look over i see all lines are open so you want to call in now be a great time you'll get through first if you call now again eight six six five seven seven two four seven three and chase i want to address that about the, a lot of money being out there because there is a lot of money out there and people just don't realize people are concerned about the correction uh, I, i'm starting to talk to clients oh you know the administration and 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 we know that there's people that oh we didn't newsom still the governor all these political things clog people's investment minds Stop looking at who the president is, who the governor is. Think about the economy. Because even though you may not like these two gentlemen, there's still a lot of money in the economy. And I've not checked it recently. I know there's like $20 trillion in the economy. This was a few months ago. It's still there. Yeah. And people are have, have not really begun that big spending yet for a couple of reasons. One, they're still, I, you still talk to people, yeah, I'm still not going to go out. I'm still not going to do this yet. Um, and also, too, the products aren't there. Well, what about when the products get there? So don't think that, you know, oh, this is over. 
markets are going to crash. We could have that correction. And we've even talked in our office that maybe it won't come. But you've got some good reasons to be investing now. Don't give up the ship. Don't. And, and I, I've been doing this for 40 years. Every single person in office, there's always been somebody that says, I hate the current administration. People said it with Trump. People said it with Clinton. People said it with Obama. They're saying it with Biden. Look at the economy <clears throat> and stop looking at who is in office. They don't make your invest because you'll make terrible investment decisions. I did want to give that number since you brought it up. Uh, we have about 20, this is as of July 2021. We have 20.5 trillion dollars out there in the economy. And and kind of for reference, I mean, this is like, uh, let's see, February 2020. So before the pandemic hit, we had 15.4 trillion. So there's just a ton of money in the economy. And, and what this is, it's called M2. And what that is, it's savings deposits, small-time uh, denomination time deposits, um, less individual retirement accounts. So it's it's money that you can Wait, access quite easily. Less individual retirement accounts? Yeah, so it does not include IRA money. And how many trillions of dollars are, are there as well where people now, and we talked about in the mm -hmm. past, about people starting to retire early. So that's more money coming in. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, it's just when you step back and look at these numbers, I, I can't. And again, you've got to invest in the right things. Don't do crazy investments because they will falter on you. When you invest in good quality businesses at good prices, we still have, you know, initially I think early in the year, I said, ah, we can have a pullback in 2022. I don't think that's going to happen because of yeah. all the money's out there. And also, too, the banks, we talk about the banks have plenty of money to lend as well at great rates. So uh, we're going to have these pullbacks. You're always going to have that. September is normally a bad month for investing October, I think is a second bad month and so forth. But get off that track, get off of the emotional side and look at what is out there to, to invest in. They want to finish the M2. Uh, the other thing is money market. So it, it all it is, is that it's really all that liquid money out there. And that's a great point about the retirement accounts. I mean, this is just really, I, I'm going to pretty much call it pure cash. Like if you have your checking account, what do you do if you run out of money in your checking account? Oh, it's okay. I have 20 grand in savings. I'll pull from there. It's not like it's hard money to get. Right. <laughs> and we have over $20 trillion of that money that's easy accessible. And, and you know, we, we've seen people as well with retirement accounts where it's like, oh, I really need it. And how much money do I have in cash in my retirement account that I can pull from? So, I mean, that that's not even including that money, yeah. which, is, which is, and also too, we've talked to people, oh yeah, I have an IRA that's got a hundred thousand in cash in it. <laughs> you know, I, that's not including that money. I right. mean, and what that does is it helps provide support to the market. Yeah. Because if things go down, let's say 5%, ooh, buying opportunity, I have 100000 in cash. Okay, I'll, I'll give it a shot now. Yeah. It kind of provides a floor there, which is why I think, as you said, this year and next year, I, I, I don't think we're going to have a, a, a major decline. I'd be shocked if we went down 20%. Right. And, and the thing, too, it's not just people buying the equities. It's also that they're buying products. Yep. They're doing more. I saw a great thing. Earnings. I saw a great thing yesterday. Uh, now at college games, they're selling more beer, which is great if you own a beer manufacturer yeah. because things are starting to happen again. They're opening up. And so, you know, that, that's just not good for, for beer, but obviously Coke, you know, Pepsi. I mean, people are starting to go out more and go to college games. You're going to have the, the tailgating going on. So there's some good things going on. You're going to see people start spending more and probably investing more, I think, in the right companies, not not, not the crazy high flyers. Yeah, so. I mean, just even at uh, my high school game last night, that right. uh, you know, I coach. I don't play high school. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. yeah, a little bit old for that. <laughs> uh, you know, just 
packed stands. And, and again, you go out to the game and it's like, well, let's go out after. And, and you know, uh, when I was in high school, we used to go to in and out. So, you yeah. know, it, it creates that buzz. It creates that economic excitement. activity, the excitement. It gets you out to do something, which helps stimulate the economy. Before we go to calls, uh, so did you guys win last night or what? Yeah, we played Vista 55 to 14. It was, a, it was a pretty, pretty good win. And, um, you know, our running back is 378 yards and five touchdowns, I think is what KUSI was there for PPR. So oh, really? I think that's what they said. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's a good number. Um, yeah. And he's a senior? Or junior. Junior. What's his name? Give Connor name. Rath. Wow. Yeah, okay. He's a, he's a, somebody to watch out Connor for. If you, if you watch high school football, watch out for Connor Rath. Yeah, I think you said he runs a four four forties. Yeah, he's, wow. he's, good. he's not a small kid, huh? No, he's like six one, two hundred pounds. Wow, hate yeah. to get in his way. Yeah. <laughs> oh, somebody tried last night, didn't go so well. <laughs> yeah, like, whoa, that was a big hit. <laughs> All right, phone number is eight six six five seven seven two four seven three. That's eight six six five seven seven two four seven three. And I'm just thinking, we should, does a high school give you extra pay for? Um, uh, us promoting them on the radio. <laughs> you know, I'm purely a volunteer. <laughs> I know. Let's go up to uh, Ocean Beach and uh, speak with Bob. Bob, you're on the Smart Vest Show, Brent Chase. How can we help you? Good morning. I just hear, I'm hearing a lot of things about uh, telephones and uh, chips, and I'm just wondering what Qualcomm is doing and how. what do you see as the activity there? Okay, well, we're going to flip it around today, and uh, Chase is going to run the numbers. So, Chase, what's it look like on the uh, history there? Yeah, so let's take a look at Qualcomm. Again, ticker symbol here for Qualcomm, Q-C-O-M. Uh, let's take a look at valuations here, starting with the current P.E. of 16.7, better than the industry average of 31.3. Price to sales at 4.6 is above the industry average of 3.9. There's no price to tangible book value for Qualcomm or the industry, I believe a lot of that stems from acquisitions they've had over the years. Uh, current price to cash flow, though, 14 versus the industry average is 17. So, so most of the valuations there look quite strong for Qualcomm. You get a decent dividend of 2%, which is higher than the industry average, of 1.8. And they only use 33% of their earnings to pay that out. Well, look at these numbers. Sales growth over the last 12 months up 63% soaring above the industry average of 3.3%, and earnings per share over that time frame up 238.5%, while the industry is only up 21.3%. I do believe a lot of that may have stemmed from stock buybacks. I think they, they've been very shareholder-friendly in buying back stock, which, as we talked about earlier, reduces the shares outstanding, increases earnings per share. That could be one of the reasons why earnings have grown so much faster than sales. Turning the balance sheet, though, a uh, little disappointed. Current ratio looks good at 1.7. They have good liquidity, but debt to equity has climbed substantially as it's now at 192%, well above the industry average, 74%. And again, I think a lot of that stems from stock buybacks. As you buy back stock, reduces your cash on the balance sheet, which reduces your assets. It does have impact on your debt to equity, but I definitely would want to understand that story a little bit further. I, I don't like when debt to equity is approaching 200%. Looking at management effectiveness, return on capital, very strong at 35. And return on equity tells me this company does not have much equity. That's return on equity, 160. Oh, wow. That's crazy. Uh, profitability ratios, though. Good profit margin at 28.3%, well above the industry average, 12.2%. And receivable turnover at 13.6, stands above the industry average, 5.3. And finally, inventory turnover, 4.8, ah, below the industry average, 5.9. I think that could be resolved, though. 
Uh, with that, uh, let's go look forward, see where things stand. Yeah, we see that Qualcomm did close at $133.60 on Friday, down $4.80. That's about uh, 3.5% decline. Uh, we do see a 52-week range here. We see the low was 108.30. The high, wow, has been 167.94. Help, no one bought it there. Uh, as we said, we do see a yield here of, uh, let's see, I thought, I think you gave it, you gave the yield. I gave the yield already. Yeah, 2, 2 there. Yeah, so kind of flipping things off here. I'm kind of getting used to my, the way you've done things for like 20 years here. Looking going forward on the analysts here, we do see that we have, uh, what, 27 analysts. Uh, they're looking for earnings in the year ending uh, 2022. I think their physical year. Yeah, their fiscal, fiscal year. Fiscal year, yeah, it doesn't show that here, uh, of $9.23. You put a multiple of 16.6 on that, you get a target sell price of 153.21. So I'm kind of liking this. I mean, not time yet, but you're getting to the point to where, you know, if Qualcomm were to decline some more, we could have some buying opportunities here. Yeah, and the other thing too is, so they are fiscal. I don't know you can see when, but September 2020 is September is their fiscal year. Yeah. So that's when they end. So now they'll be, we'll be looking at September 2023 here after they report earnings which you know uh, could see an increase on the earnings per share there. And you know what I do see here also too on those uh, earnings per share trend over the last 90 days. 9 days ago they're looking for earnings of 860. That's now climbed to 923. So uh Bob, did you say you hold this or are you looking to buy it? No, I'm looking to buy it. Yeah, I, I would still be a little patient. We're about uh gosh, I didn't figure that out. About uh 20% or so away from uh the target sell price, we'll get about a margin error, about 30% there. So I would be a little more patient there. But I, I think we could get if the market stays a little bit crazy. You see Qualcomm around 120, 125. And also, too, this is what, September 18th. We should be hearing pretty soon. Uh, well, I mean, they'll close September 31st. No, that's right. yeah, so yeah, you'll, so probably, you'll October. probably see like mid to late october yeah yeah i'd remain patient i i, I think you could get this at a uh, this great company at a good price yeah i i think it's I, and it is interesting i mean you look you no know, there's issues with the chips right now i think you know the the bigger kind of more established chip companies I, i'm gonna throw it out there like intel and qualcomm i i think they're much much more enticing much safer than the nvidia's and amd's of the world so as brent said i think it's an interesting one here bob yep so be patient all okay. right bob yep thank you very much appreciate right. it Thanks for calling. You have a good one. You too. Bye-bye. All right. That does open the phone line. 866-577-2473. That's 866-577-2473. Let's go to Julian and speak with Tim. Tim, you're on the Smart Vegetable, Brent Chase. How can we help you? Oh, hi. I just wanted to check. I put a bunch of money into Iron Mountain a couple of months ago mostly for the dividends, and I figured it's a good place to park money for the correction. Uh, what do you think of that stock? Too much debt? <laughs> well, that's the thing, too, and I'm, and I'm, I'm glad you're calling about it because it sounds like you said you're parking that money. So important to make sure you park it at a safe place, even though that you might get a good dividend, want to make sure that you are putting it in a safe place so they can pay that dividend and not get a, I don't know what the dividend is, uh, a 5% yield, but yet the stock drops 10%. So, Chase, what do you got in the numbers over there? Yeah, so let's take a look here at Iron Mountain Company. And I, I know we've taken a look at this company before. Um, do you know what they do exactly here, Tim? They, they store records for people, and now they're getting into computer storage okay. because they know pa paper's dying. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I think, okay, I think that's where I recognize them from, too. I think they, yeah. they also call it 
uh, document protection, which is a fancy word for they shred documents. I, I think I see their truck yeah, sometimes yeah. in front of our uh, <laughs> our office building there. So yeah. I, I knew I recognized them. All right, perfect. Well, with that said, let's take a look at the numbers here for Iron Mountain. Uh, valuation ratios, current PE here, 21.5. Uh, industry, not material. So 21.5, that looks okay. Current price to sales at three, well above the industry average of 0.8. No price of tangible book value, which is uh, kind of surprising there. I, but again, I, I'm guessing a lot of that may have stemmed from acquisitions and uh, the creation of goodwill on the balance sheet. Current price to cash flow at 10 is half the industry average of 20, though. So that is a positive. So a mixed bag here in terms of the valuation ratios. Turning to the dividend, this is, uh, I think, what caught your eye as they yield 5.5%. But they do use 118.5% of their earnings to pay that out. And I do believe this company is a real estate investment trust, which does kind of change the accounting of it. So it might be okay. You just have to check the cash flow to make sure that dividend is sustainable. Uh, looking at the growth rates, though, sales over the last 12 months up 2.5%. While the industry, wow, fell 31.5%. What's going on with the industry there? Especially looking at the earnings as Iron Mountain climbed 198% while the industry fell 24%. So the growth rates do look very good, especially when you compare it against the industry average. Now, this is the question you had here, Tim, and this is something that does concern me. Current ratio, 0.8%. That's starting to get to a, a little bit of a concerning level in terms of its liquidity. But you pair that with a debt to equity of 778.2%. That is in the danger zone for me. I mean, I don't even know if that's in the danger zone. That's past the danger zone for me. I, I do not like companies that have debt to equity that high. I, I just don't know if I can justify holding a company with a debt level. And it might be okay. There might be something with the accounting that, that they could get through it, but something like that, it, it's just uh, very concerning. Look at the management effectiveness, though. Return on capital at about five. I'd like to see that number much, much higher. But a lot of that stems from the debt because debt goes into the capital. If you're not generating a return on your money, well, that's going to actually produce a low return on capital. But the equity is very strong at 55. That's the return on equity. Good number there. But I think all that debt is really having a big, big problem on the return on capital. Profitability ratios, income after tax, or that profit margin, nice at 14.2%. Receivable turnover stands at 5.2, below the industry average, 9.4, and nothing there for inventory turnover. Uh, Brent, what are things looking like going forward? Yeah, and actually I looked at Iron Mountain because I was kind of curious because we do see the trucks pull up like, oh, it's just a local company. I'm surprised. I mean, this company is actually founded back in 1951. It's the global leader for storage and information management services, uh, trusted by more than 225,000 organizations around the world. This is not a small 225, wow, thousand. Yeah, it is not a small company. has more than 90 million square feet across approximately 1,450 facilities in 50 countries. So this is by no means a small company, which I just kind of thought, oh, this is just some tiny company that, you know, is here in San Diego. And, and I remember hearing about it before. But no, this is a huge, huge company. Uh, they did close at $44.90 on Friday. They're down a penny. We do see that their range of, of the last 52 weeks, they were low at $24.85. They are off the high of $49.58. Looking at the analysts here to see what they say about the company, we're going out to December, I believe. Kind of hard to tell on this program here if it's a fiscal year or not. I don't believe it is. Uh, but we do see their six analysts saying the year ending. Uh, December 2022, they're looking for earnings of $1.64. Now, if I put a multiple on that, 
I get a star target sell price at 27.22. The price is 44.90. That is not a good situation to be in because Tim, I know you put your money to hold it here. You could honestly see that five and a half percent dividend destroyed if this stock were to fall to 45 or 40. What's up? And I hate to cut you off here. This sure. is the problem with Yahoo. This is a REIT. Oh, so these are so not. We need, to, we need oh. to look at the FFO. Do you have, I, I do. Got I pulled it up. Yeah. yeah. So, what is the FFO? so I look at the funds from operations. So this is REIT. It's three dollars and fifteen cents. That would actually give us a target sell price of fifty-two twenty-nine. Oh. So, okay. And the valuations there, and this again can justify that that dividend payout ratio that looks very concerning. But again, if they have that cash flow, they can sustain that. But I don't want to give you too much hope here, Tim, yeah, because the other dead, thing there, the other thing their cash flow is going to have to go to. <laughs> Is paying off that debt, right? So it's, it's, it's something that's kind of double-edged sword there, where the FFO is good, the cash flow is good, but all of a sudden it's like, well, maybe they're not going to have as much for the dividend because they got to pay off debt, or if they continue to pay out that dividend, all of a sudden it's like, okay, well now we got to just take on more debt, and it could create some big problems for you. So I, I definitely say be careful with it. Yeah, and, and Tim, one thing that we have conversation with our clients as well, everybody hates seeing that 0.1, 0 0.2% on their money. But that is sometimes the best place to be because, again, if you bought this one, again, we'll say $45 a share uh, for that 5% dividend and the stock does drop down to 40, you've now lost net of 5%. And that's if you hold the company for the entire year. So uh, be very careful doing that. And, and I, I would love to say, oh, this is a great buy and everything's great on it. Um, it it's just really very worrisome there. All righty. Sounds good. I appreciate it. Thanks for calling, Tim. Have a good one. Take care. Bye-bye. All right. That does open the phone line, 866-577-2473. That's 866-577-2473. Time to talk to our financial planner, Harrison Johnson. Good morning, Harrison. How are you doing this morning? Hey, guys. Good morning. Doing well. How are you doing? Good, good. I know that we're following up from last week, kind of tease people with it. Talk about these income riders on annuities, what these are and how – I'm going to say it, how people are fooled into buying an annuity when they think there's something more than is not really there. I don't know. Yeah. So last week we talked about annuities and then um, this week I wanted to talk about an aspect of annuities that uh, a lot of people seem to find attractive. A lot of times when I find people that buy annuities, this is the reason that they're interested or this is the reason that, that they do it. And it's because of these income riders. And so these are um, usually associated with indexed annuities, which tend to be pretty popular among annuity buyers. Um, with an indexed annuity, you buy a product and then that is tied to an index like the S&P 500. And when that goes up, you get a portion of that growth. And when the index goes down, you don't lose anything. So you have to be careful because the upside is limited by cap rates and participation rates and things like that. So essentially, what the, what the insurance company will do is they'll look at the index every month or every year or whatever the timing is, and they'll see how much that index has gone up, and then you'll get a portion of that. But again, it's limited because of the cap rates and, and all that. And also, that does not include dividends. So over the long term, you're better off just investing because you're not limited on what that growth is. But um, some people like the, the guarantees there or the, the safety. And so what I would say is usually on average, you might get – a return of three to six percent on the indexed side. Um, it's not going to do as well as um, investing like with you guys or something like that with your philosophy, but you know you'll make a little bit of money over the long term. Um, so that's the index side, and that's really what your actual account balance is. And then sometimes you can buy these 
income riders, which is like an added feature to this annuity, which has a fee. And so this is where you hear, oh, well, it's going to grow at 7% per year, or I get a 10% startup bonus or something like that. The thing to know is this income rider, it's almost like a completely separate account than the than the indexed account. And the only way to get that is to annuitize that annuity, meaning you have to keep that product for the rest of your life. Because essentially, this income rider uh, amount is, all it is is an artificial number used to calculate what the income would be from that annuity. So what a lot of people think is, okay, I'll buy this annuity, I'll get my 10% bonus, I'll get my 7% per year, and then after 10 years, I'll take that money and I'll, I'll do something else with that. Well, you can't do that because, again, if you decided to surrender the account or the annuity or tried to pull your money out, the, that money is based on the account balance, the index side, which is usually much lower. Um, and so I see people that purchase these annuities and will look at them and try to figure out what to do. And usually the case is, well, I bought this thing 10 years ago. I'm not really sure how it's done. Uh, what are my options? And we'll look at it. And the the indexed account balance might have grown from $100,000 to $120,000 or something like that. So a little bit of growth over a 10-year period. But this income rider has grown to almost $200,000, we'll say. And so there's really not a lot of options for getting your money out of that because, again, if you do, you only have access to that smaller $120,000 where if you take income, it's based off of that higher $200,000 number. Um, so it's something to be careful of before you get into the annuity. Just know that if you do this, you're probably going to be stuck with it because if you ever did decide to leave, you're going to have to be taking a much smaller amount. And Harrison, it sounds to me like a lot of smoke and mirrors and a lot of high fees there to keep people with them forever. And the thing that I think about, too, you know, well, it can never be reduced. Well, what about the, um, oh, uh, the, the long-term care, how they had to reduce that, how things they have to do? I mean, people think, okay, well, it's guaranteed by this company. Well, I, I, I just, to be married to something forever just to me sounds like a terrible financial plan. I, I mean, I don't like it. It lacks flexibility. It lacks the ability to, to engage in tax planning. Um, and yeah, it, it's very rigid. And again, you're, you're better off not doing something like that, which is why I recommend people don't. Um, but the, there are people that purchase these things. And again, I, I've never found somebody who was fully aware of how these things worked when they actually bought it. And so many times the people selling them don't know how they work. They just know that they can make a lot of money doing it. So that <laughs> kind of has a conflict of interest there. So that there is yeah, a, it, there, there is a big commission on them. Is that correct? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, you make a ton of money if you can sell these things, but, um, you know, I, I have a, I don't do that. I, I have a problem doing that because I, I know it's it's not in people's best interest. And I, I just want to kind of emphasize two points that you I think you already brought up, but it's just so important. Is number one, I mean, that income rider, that that actual value of the account, that's costing you money on that actual value yeah. of that annuity growing over time. So if you didn't do the income rider, that account would have grown far better than had you not done the in, uh, income rider there. So that's number one. Just make yeah. sure that 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 understand, like if you choose to do that, as you said, you're locked in. Once you sign an income rider, you're pretty much need to do that for the rest of your life. So terrible decision there in terms of flexibility. And uh, gosh, I mean, uh, number two was the fact that uh, it's just funny money. 
I mean, yeah. that income rider, it says, okay, so your income rider portion of the portfolio is, let's just say, 200000 Well, once you annuitize it, you take 4%. You don't get to pick what you take from it. It's it's just a percentage <laughs> that it's based off of. It's ludicrous. Yeah, that's exactly correct. It's It's not really an account number or a dollar amount. It's just an artificial number used to determine what the income amount is. And so generally what happens is if the growth side on these income riders seems attractive, that usually means that the withdrawal rate or the payout ratio on the income side is not as good because there's always a way to compensate on these insurance policies to benefit the insurance company. And really that's what they're doing this for. If this was such a great thing, um, you know, they wouldn't, they wouldn't be able to do it because they have to pay the commission to the agent selling it. They have to pay their overhead for the company. So um, it's not like you're going to make all this money and, and have all these great income options because really the insurance companies are offering this to make money. And, and Harrison, do you know if that, if they, you know, cause again, the income rider is a rider. That's uh, something additional. Do you know if they pay a commission off of that too, if they add the income rider on to, to the sales agent? Um, I, I believe they do. Okay. I believe they do. Yes. Uh, right. um, because essentially that the income rider, the fee is being paid out of the regular account balance side, your actual money. Um, so I, I would assume that, uh, that, yeah, there is an additional commission for that. So, I mean, the, the commission rate on this might be 7% or something. So on $100,000, that's seven grand right up front. And again, the person selling this doesn't care how it performs because they make their money and then they're off to the next person. Yeah. Yep. I was going to say, uh, just, Kind of the other way I would break this down is the way this income rider works is they say, okay, give us $100,000. That's where you're going to invest. And then we'll pay you out in 20 years $1,000 a month. That's just a fictitious number. It's not an actual. But they're just saying, okay, the income rider portfolio actually means nothing at all. They're just saying, okay, well, we can pay out this amount each month. That's how they're looking at it. It's it's not the income rider portfolio. Wow, it grew to $300,000. It's done so well. It's It's, again, it's a payout, not an account. Yep. So, well, Harrison, uh, thank you very much for uh, taking your side this morning to, to explain that. Again, you do actually explain it to people when they come in their office, or they, your office, if they have one. They can sit down. They can go over it because I'm sure there's a lot of people out there who say, I really don't know what this is. I don't understand it. And once you understand it, you may not like it. So that's why you should be informed, not just put your head in the sand because that usually doesn't work out very good when it comes to investing plans. So thank you for joining us. All right. Thanks, Chad. See you Monday. All right. See you Monday. Bye-bye. Again, as Harrison Johnson, he is our certified financial planner at Wilsey Asset Management. You can get a free consultation with him. If you have these annuities, you don't understand them, you don't have a good financial plan, give him a call at the office, 858-546-4306. That's 858-546-4306. You can also catch him from the, uh, or reach him through the website at smartinvesting2000.com. That's smart investing. 2000.com. You know, these, these things just get me so fired up. I, 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 and Harrison sees a lot more than we do. Yeah. He looks at the whole picture, but I, I mean, we've sat down with people and like, Oh yeah, I, I have a $200,000 annuity. And you look at it and it's like, Oh, I actually, if you want it, you only have 110,000. Yeah. And they don't understand the difference there. Funny money. Yeah. yeah. It, it's, it, it's unfortunate. So be very careful. Read the contract, which is about a hundred pages long. And if you don't want to read it, eh, 
probably don't do it. <laughs> don't, don't do it. There you go. And, and this is why we do the workshop. And actually, we do have a workshop coming up uh, this Thursday evening at uh, 6 o'clock in Scripps Ranch. Uh, that's September 23rd. We go over different types of investments that you may have, may not understand. We'll talk about that. We also do show you how we manage our money, how we look at things before we invest in them, how we get our target sell prices, how we get our target buy prices, all these important things we go over. It is a free workshop, but you need to sign up for it. You need to go to our website, smartinvesting2000.com. That's smartinvesting2000.com. And if you never thought about going to the workshop, you will learn stuff. I've never had anybody say, oh, I didn't learn anything at all. You will be a smart investor when you leave. And a lot of times people are looking to say, well, should I use? I, my investments aren't going well. That's why we show what we do at our firm. So you can also call the office, 858-546-4306. Ask for Brianna. Or again, the website, smartinvesting2000.com. All right, phone numbers here, 866-577-2473. That's 866-577-2473. Let's go up to San Marcos, where Mel has been waiting very patiently. Good morning, Mel. You're on the Smart Investing Show with Brent Chase. How can we help you? Well, good morning. Uh, thank you very much for having me on. I appreciate it. I really like what you're saying. I agree with you on the annuities. I can plead with any usually older people don't be taken in by the snake oil annuity <laughs> salesman because they really are just uh, they're smart enough to know that it's a bad deal for the customer and the best thing they could do for a living is to say okay give me two thousand dollars in cash and I'll just leave and never talk to you again. That would save that person probably three or four hundred thousand dollars. You're right. You're probably you know, right. Anyway, <laughs> and that that would be the best for everybody. I I agree with you, Mel. How <laughs> can we help you? And well, um, I'm putting a lot of our the money that we have as husband and wife is in like bonds and things, and they just aren't performing too well. So we're branching into mutual funds and um so i'm looking at the fidelity select uh health care and uh medical devices fsmex i'm looking at the fidelity um select uh software and it services and i also like fidelity select retail and the uh i like fidelity mm -hmm. and uh, uh fidelity um blue chip growth and fidelity uh, technology fund those are kind of the ones i like and i'm just wondering i really like the healthcare right now and i'm just wondering if there's certain ones of those that i should wait more or should i go into like four of them equally what do you think on that? Well, I, and I and I just pulled up one because I, I we can't look at all form that that would actually have to be you know sit down with a financial planner and actually go over these because that, that's very extensive to do that. But what I did want to kind of help you understand here is I looked at the fund a little bit here and I and I just pulled up the Fidelity uh, Select Medical Technology and Devices portfolio just because that's the first first one you mentioned. And I did want to kind of point out some things we want to look at on the fund. I did notice that the top 10 holdings account for 53.86% of the assets, which is not a bad thing. 
as a concentrated fund if they're doing the right things. And I can't pronounce the name of the first company. Second one at 10.7% is Thermo Fisher Scientific. Then Boston Scientific is about 8.9%. You want to understand if you're going to invest in mutual funds, what are they doing? Uh, what are they buying? How long are they holding them? Uh, I was looking for a very quick, the turnover ratio on here, and I, I forgot where it is on the mutual fund side. But that's another very important thing. What is their turnover ratio? They do have 98.2% uh, of the uh, portfolio is in stocks. 1.8% is in other, which I'm not sure what that would be. Um, so I, I'm, I'm just kind of, because you, you like mutual funds, and mutual funds can be easy, but you got to make sure you get good fund managers. And Fidelity has a great name. But don't go just on that. Go on what the managers are doing because they had, could have had a great manager that's been there for 10 years. He retired to get some new guy in who's going to do a totally different thing. So you, even though the mutual funds take less work than uh, individual equities, well, you still have to kind of watch them. And, and, and one thing I'd be very, very careful of here, Mel, is uh, the overlap that you see. And I, I, I didn't do extensive as kind of Brent did there. I, I just pulled up the three of them that you mentioned on the blue chip growth. The uh, Microsoft makes up about 6% of that <clears throat> portfolio. On the IT software services mutual fund, Microsoft makes up about 26% of that fund. And then on the blue chip, oh no, excuse me, I already did the blue chip group. On the technology fund, Microsoft makes up 18.5%. So you're not really getting much diversification there. You're actually just investing quite heavily in Microsoft, actually. So you got to be very careful because a lot of the funds that you just mentioned, they're all trading at about 30 times earnings. They're very, very expensive. I know you're not getting much on bonds. We're not big advocates of bonds either. Since rates rise, bond prices go down. So I, I think you have the right mindset, but I'd be very cautious. You're, you're getting kind of involved and I, I think kind of high-risk stuff. And Microsoft sounds like a safe name. We talked about it earlier in the show, though. I, I do worry about a lot of these portfolios. Yeah, and, and, I, and I cannot find them kind of searching around here for the turnover ratio because that's very important to invest in mutual funds. You don't want one. I've seen some funds in the past 200% turnover ratio in one year. That means they completely have kind of changed the whole portfolio or, or sold you know, sold out, bought back in, they're doing trading and so forth. That can also cause you a tax problem. So um, I, I don't know what uh, what you do for Did you do these on your own or did you have a, a broker help you on these, Mel? I, I did them on my own. Okay, yeah. I mean, you got to spend a little more time on that to really understand more about these mutual funds because Fidelity, great long-term name, but they could have a new manager in there. They could have high turnover ratios. So, uh, you know, trying to point in the right direction, where to do some more research on to really help you out. And I, I'm getting the signal. I got one minute left here, so I, so I got to get going. So I, I hope that helps you out. Mel, take a little more research right. on these. Thank you so much. Sure. Well, thank you for calling, and uh, don't be a stranger here. All righty? All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right. That did clear up all phone lines. When we come back from the break, all lines will be open 866 577 2473. That's 866 577 2473. I know we do want to talk about from Facebook. We've been kind of ignoring Facebook. We'll do that. I saw Jason had one on Dole. Uh, I think that's a big fruit maker, I believe, is who, who that is. I believe so. so. Yeah. So uh, just real quick on, on, oh, no, I got the one second signal. So here we go. So we'll, we'll discuss more when we come back. You are listening to Smart Investing Show with Brent and Chase. Stay with us. We'll be right back after this quick break.
Alrighty, welcome back to the second half of the Smart Investor Show. Yes, we have phone lines open, 866-577-2473. That's 866-577-2473. And don't forget this Thursday night, September 23rd at 6 o'clock. If you got free time, you want to become a smarter investor, time for you to head to the uh, Smart Investing Workshop. We talk about uh, the question you're hearing lately. Is a correction coming? We're going to talk about corrections, how they work, why you should not be afraid of corrections, but embrace the corrections. How important is compounding for investors? We'll also give you our thoughts on the current inflationary environment. And we also will go over in detail what all the numbers mean that you hear right here on the radio show, the Smart Investing Show, and which ones you should be more concerned about with. So it is a free workshop. You got to sign up for it. Go to our website, smartinvesting2000.com. That's smartinvesting2000.com. Look forward to seeing this Thursday night. Sitting is limited. So sign up now. And we'll see you Thursday night, 6 o'clock, at the uh, Smart Investing Workshop. I almost said show. wasn't the show. We're doing the show now. So I'll get that right. All righty. Phone numbers again, 866-577-2473. Let's go out to San Diego and speak with Rose. Rose, you're in the Smart Investing with Brent Chase. How can we help you? Hi, guys. Thanks for your show. I listen every weekend that I can, and I have learned so much from you. Oh, well, thank you. Yeah. Um, thinking about diversifying my portfolio, and I was looking into an ETF, and this happens to be a Japan ETF, symbol E as in equal, W as in world, J as in Jane. I hold enough American stocks, U.S. stocks, and I was just, you know, everybody's pushing to uh, invest in um, overseas. I'm leery of China, um, mm -hmm. so... <laughs> now, and, and I got to ask you, Rose, you said everybody's pushing to push in overseas. You didn't well, hear that from us. So I'm not sure. <laughs> oh, no, I didn't. I'm hearing it from other sources, you know, to diversify, go into uh, either European stocks or uh, Asian stocks, uh, ex-China. Mm -hmm. So... Yeah, and, and 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 we'll, we'll kind of and again you you say you hear a lot here learn a lot here from us. I mean let's kind of talk about this a little bit. Again we talk about this in the workshop, but the reason why many times people do that is because and I'm talking about the the advisors and stuff is they they want to diversify because they really don't know what they're doing. Um, they just say, oh well we'll do this because the, the more something you throw will the work something is going to work something's going to stick on the wall if you throw enough. I've never subscribed to that philosophy. Because when I look at saying, I would rather buy good quality of something I know than something I don't know. And we, we're looking at buying one foreign company in our portfolio. It hasn't hit the target sell or buy price yet. But what we also look at is when you buy an American company, many times half of their revenue is coming from overseas. It's not like back in the 70s when I first, well, I didn't do it in the 70s, I, a little bit after that, but back in the 70s, you had to diversify to get that, uh, an, an international, to get that different investments. Now you don't have to do that. So a lot of times I think it's done just to try to enhance, uh, you know, the brokers, you know, like, oh, you should be diversified because they have nothing else to talk about. So mm -hmm. we're not a big advocate, especially now I will ask you on Japan, how much do you know about the Japanese companies? How much do you know about their accounting? I, I think it's probably pretty good, but but that's why we stay here mostly to the U.S. I don't know anything about 
<laughs> I'm looking at their top ten holdings uh, for this ETF, and you know, Toyota, Sony, um, SoftBank is in there, and you know, it's last three months uh, they're all up. Uh, but I know nothing individually about these companies. And you're right, companies like Nike or Sony, you know, uh, they they sell all over the world. So um, yeah. And I'm glad you I'm glad you brought up that point there, Rosie. Yeah, because you look at a company like Toyota. I mean, they're you're getting U.S. exposure <laughs> by buying a company like Toyota because they have so much sales here as well in the United States. But yeah, I mean, you still get the sales all over the world, but you can get that with other companies that are U.S. based. Because one thing that I'm not sure about this ETF, if I look at the symbols, and this on Yahoo Finance is just like seven two zero three six seven five eight, so they're QSIPs rather than uh, ticker symbols. I, I worry that they're actually buying the actual companies on the exchange in Japan. Mm. So what that could mean is now you're not just taking on the risk of those companies in the portfolio, you're taking on the currency fluctuation risk between the the U.S. dollar and, and Japan's currency there. Uh, so you got to be careful of that as well. Yeah. And, and, and Rose, I think you want to come up with what is your objective. And, and again, our objective is is the way we manage our, our portfolio is to find good quality American businesses that we're buying them at a low price and we'll hold them for three to five years. We want a clean balance sheet and so forth. What you have to determine is what is my philosophy? Because if you want to have like a diversified portfolio worldwide, this may make sense for, for you. But I will tell you that over the years of doing this, it's been about 40 years, I have discovered that people that diversify too much don't generally have great returns people that are more concentrated, which is why we run a concentrated value portfolio, you generally do better with a concentrated value portfolio because, and that's what Warren Buffett did. He didn't have 50, 100 different positions. I mean, his main focus was in about 10 different positions. That's how he did so well. So um, you gotta kinda come up with what you wanna do, but I, 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 I would not put my money into an ETF in Japan or anywhere else in the world. I wanna know what I'm investing into for a business. Does that help you out? Okay. All right. Well, that helped me out a lot. <laughs> well, good. So thank you very much. <laughs> and, and, and do you use a broker? Are you trying to do this on your own, or how are you doing this? Um, myself. I'm trying okay. to do it on my own. Okay. But that doesn't, that can change. Okay. Well, and I know you said you listen every every week, so we can help you out. Do you get the newsletter, by the way? I do. Okay. Do you watch the YouTube video? I do. Oh, I'm, okay. Well, you got everything. So you <laughs> you are getting smarter every week. Okay, so stay with us. <laughs> <laughs> I will. <laughs> thank you. Rose, thank you for calling. Have a good one. Take care. Bye-bye. All right. That does open the phone line, 866-577-2473. That's 866-577-2473. And I know I was going to talk about something before the break, and I said, well, I'll wait till after the break. I can't remember what I was going to talk about the break because I had so many things going. And then we were going to talk about uh, from Jason. That's exactly what it was. <laughs> oh, 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 it was. Okay. So we're going to go. Do you still have the information? Because I know you kind of like, oh, no, he didn't go to it. <laughs> I was like, no, I got all the information pulled up. <laughs> but well, yeah, no, I still got it all pulled up here. You still got it Okay. Yeah. And I, I forget to pull it up. But uh, Jason wants to know about Dole. Did he just put anything else down there? That's what he was kind of looking at. Uh, just kind of a little background. He said, are enough numbers out on the Dole? Uh, again, D-O-L-E, IPO to analyze, found some projected future earning numbers, and they looked okay but couldn't find much else, looking to add a new position soon. Yeah, and, and this is what we just talked about, Rose, about. This is not a U.S. company. It's a London-based company, um, and it's so funny. Here in San Diego, you, you go on the 
Harbor Cruise, you see Dole all over the place. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's what is it? Uh, bananas and I think uh, pineapples. Well, I, I got a lot more actually. I pulled that up. And, oh, did you? Um, Tell us what I, got. I, I don't know if I, I would be completely turned off from it being foreign either because it, it is on the New York Stock Exchange. So I, I'm so guessing it is an, it is, ADR. an ADR. Okay. And uh, they're in a country that. Um, I kind of like they're they're in Ireland. They're in Dublin is where they're headquartered. Uh, favorable mm-hmm. favorable tax rates is a nice thing about Ireland. But uh, some of the things they do, I, I mean, you, you talked about uh, the citrus, but they do the fresh fruits, vegetables, and flowers as well. Didn't know that they have citrus oh. products, bananas, apples, and pears, vegetables, potatoes, salads, tomatoes. Uh, don't know what this is, but stone and soft fruits. I don't know what a stone fruit is. I don't know. Uh, grapes, exotics, pineapples, and other products. And they also market and distribute health foods, vitamins, minerals, and supplements, pharmacy products, groceries, and consumer products. So I'd, I'd really want to kind of look exactly what do they have? It, it is a big company. I, I'm going to guess that most of the money made up, is made off of bananas and, and uh, pineapples. pineapples yeah. But uh, still, they have many other things that could grow over time. Uh, and again, you really got to dig deep in this company. I'm, I'm not sure what we're going to get because I think it just became public. It looks like in July. Uh, so you're not going to get a lot on this. I do see the 52 week range, which would be since July has been a high of 1653, a low of 1450. It's around $14.88 on Friday. Uh, I'm surprised here. And this could be because it's new information. I don't see a dividend and, and I'd be disappointed that they would not pay a dividend. Usually your food companies pay a decent dividend. And this is, and we like food companies because it's something that you need all the time. This is a fruit company and flowers and stuff like that. So you'd want to dig a little bit deeper to really understand how much of that they get their revenue from. It could be a possibility. We just don't have enough information on it yet. I, I, have, I have some numbers that well, I, I wanted to give. I mean, you look at the valuation. There's still valuations on the company. They do have a trailing PE of 20.9. That sounds a little bit high. But the Ford PE actually looks pretty good at 9.5. So, I mean, you're not paying much for the future earnings of that company. Uh, price to sales, 0.3. We know food companies generally have a lower price to sales multiple because their margins aren't necessarily as high. Unfortunately, I, I don't have Reuters numbers here, so I don't have anything to compare against. So, these are just hard numbers. Price to book at 2.5. I, I mean, it doesn't look bad. As I said, nothing to compare against, but it, it, it looks okay. Uh, profit margin is pretty low at 1.3%. Uh, trying to look at the balance sheet just to see their total debt to equity. Uh, it's a little bit on the high side, but but not a complete turnoff as it's 105%. So it, it's that's one that's kind of starting to approach that danger zone, but it, it wouldn't completely turn me off from the company. And current ratio at 1.4, I mean, they got plenty of liquidity there. So, you know, it, it's something that's of... of intrigue to me, I guess, is what the way I would phrase it. And I do say there are analysts, about six of them, that go out to uh, December 2022. Uh, they're looking for a, an average estimate of $1.56, put a multiple of 16.6 on that. I do get a target sell price of $25.90, up from the $14.88, or about a 74% potential gain there. So, you know what, I, I think, with, I don't want to say I like this company at this point in time, but I think with some more research, there could be some potential there. And generally, I, I like to wait for about a year mm-hmm. before buying a company that IPOs. There is information on them you could actually dig into. You could. If you want to spend the time to do it, is it worth it? It just has to be a really, really good opportunity. And yeah. I don't think this is a really, really good opportunity. I think it's an okay opportunity. Yeah. I'd almost rather wait until next July and kind of right. see where things are at that point. And I guess if there's no other good food companies that were on sale right now, it'd be a really good opportunity. But you have other ones I think would be easier 
food companies. We'll, we'll put this. Did you see the? Uh, do they have uh, industry? Um, no, I don't have any. Uh, yeah, I'd, but but I would assume I'd put in the food industry category. Uh, I just think there's other food companies you're going to maybe invest in that have better prices. And I know I think Jason said something about diversifying. People get too focused on diversifying. Diversifying is not always a good thing. We, we, we talk about if you have 15 to 20 positions in your portfolio, if you know those very well and you're watching those very well, you don't need to have more. Uh, and, and yeah, there's things that we look at that, yeah, they're probably a good buy, but you don't need to have 50 to 100 positions in your portfolio. Uh, 15 to 20 is fine if you watch those positions and know them very well. Mm -hmm. So, All right, I hope uh, you think that I answered uh, his question. Yeah, he just said he was looking to add a new position, not diversify. But no, well, I was doing that for everybody. I know, I know, I know. Yeah, yeah. So, but, um, all right, phone number is 866-577-2473. That's 866-577-2473. Let's go to San Diego and speak with Albert. Albert, you're on the Smart Vegetable, Brent Chase. How can we help you? Hey, good morning, gentlemen. Uh, happy Saturday. Yes, happy Saturday. Uh, How listen, you doing? Hey, I'm doing good. good. The, weather's, uh, the sun's trying to come out, so it's going to be a nice day, cool day, almost a hint of fall in the air here. There we go. Hey, listen, here's what I got. I am just I just ran across this company, and, and it's a company called, where are we at here? We're called Communication Systems Incorporated, J-E-S, the symbol. An eight dollar stock, okay. Mm -hmm. Now they're offering up a three dollar and fifty cent special dividend here by the end of the month, and I'm curious how you can do that on an eight dollar stock, and is it worth a one shot deal to grab it and run, or is you see what I'm saying? It's, I see exactly. It sounds too good to be true, doesn't it? <laughs> Which means. <laughs> Which means it probably is, but three fifty on an eight dollars stock. I mean, you know, that's almost tempting. Yeah, it, well, it, it is tempting. I think what we need to do is analyze the numbers, kind of look at it, see what we see on here, to see how they can do that. What's going to happen? Sure. Chase, yeah. Sure. Yeah. So let's take a look at the numbers here for Communication Systems Incorporated. Ticker symbol here is JCS. And I, I got to ask Albert, how, how did you hear about this special dividend? Hear about this company? Well, I, I, I was, uh, I got involved with another company that had a special dividend, you know, in, uh, uh, that old Republic that you, I think had a gentleman on uh, oh, yeah. a week or two ago that was talking about it. And I looked at that and they had a special dividend of a dollar fifty. So I thought, who else has got this? So I just threw that in there and, and this one came up and, uh, with a, a few others and this one just seemed like you said, too good to be true. Okay. Okay. Well, let's take a look at numbers here for communication systems. Uh, unfortunately, starting off here, not a great start. No PE ratios. The industry average is 68. <laughs> Price to sales looks good at 1.8, well below the industry average of 4.3. Price to annual book value looks okay at 2.1. Better than an industry average. It's not material, but unfortunately, no price to cash flow. I don't like to see that. No earnings, no cash flow. It makes me wonder how are they paying this special dividend? Uh, they do have yeah. a normalized dividend, it looks like, of about 1%. Uh, but again, no earnings, so don't have a payout ratio. Sales over the last 12 months up 36%, while the industry climbed 7.3%. And earnings over that time frame, they fell 30.4% while the industry climbed 30.7%. So how in the world did they increase sales 36% but see a decline in earnings per share of 30%? Want to understand that. Mm -hmm. 
balance sheet yeah, looks very good for the company. Current ratio, 4.5. Almost too much cash on the balance sheet. Why do they have so much cash there? Uh, likely because they're not making any earnings and have no cash flow. So they got to burn through that over time. <laughs> so they got some reserves. But there is no be a suitcase on the, <laughs> there somewhere. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but there is no debt to equity for this company, which is a positive. And when I say no, their debt to equity is zero. It means they have no debt on the balance yeah. sheet. So that is a positive for the business. Uh, management mm-hmm. effectiveness, no return on capital, no return on equity. His earnings are negative, no profit margin. Receivable turnover at 5.3, above the industry average of 4.9. And inventory turnover at 2.9, well below the industry average at 19.4. So I would like to see that inventory turn at a higher rate, especially if you look at that industry. What do we look like going mm-hmm. forward there, Brent? Uh, some crazy numbers over here as well, Chase. I mean, uh, we got a, a close on Friday at $8.30. Uh, it was up 4% or $0.32. Cents. Uh, Brian, look at the 52-week range of this company. $3.70 is the low the high is 11.45. Now I thought well, this must be a small company, and I was wrong. This is an 80. We know it is a small. It company. is a small company. 80 million. I, I thought that was a. I guess my eyes are going bad. I thought it was a B. That's an M. So it is a small company. 80 million. So I was right on that. Um, there's no analysts that follow this company. Um, you're really contacting kind of a crapshoot. Now many times when they pay out these dividends, you will get that dividend of maybe three dollars. I think you said it was, and the stock Pretty will fall. Yeah. yeah, it'll fall down to yeah. five. Uh, and, and then you, you get the three dividends, so you're kind of getting your own money back. And I believe then they pay that dividend. It could be taxable until you sell that as well. So mm-hmm. you, you've got to be very careful here uh, with this because yeah. it's a dividend. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and yeah. I, yeah. I, I understand. And I think that's why the stock's gone up. So I think a lot of people heard that special dividend. Oh, I, I want to buy it to get the $3.50. And then, as Brett yeah, said, yeah, once yeah, that three fifty is paid out, it's like I don't want this company. So yeah. then it just falls <laughs> before you can get out. So then, as Brent said, you, you basically break even, or you run the risk of going even lower if there's no fundamentals backing up this company. And that could, I see, yeah, that, yeah, that could, I understand that, you know, and that's why I'm I'm doing my due diligence. Part of it's calling you to. <laughs> I'm I'm not going to chase this thing, but it, it's tempting, you know. And, and yeah. I guess the key is if you if you can get it under under eight and get out right away i guess you know you, there's a chance of something but that's a gamble versus investing yeah and, so and, and again it's going to go well ex-dividend so you won't really make any money that way and, I, and this company actually goes back to november of 84 uh it did have a high back in the 90s of 18 dollars and 67 cents it just doesn't seem to do very much and again so small companies we said long-term company um i i think you might get excited about, oh, I get this $3 dividend. Um, I don't think it's going to benefit you at all because I think the stock will go I back agree. to Not, five I, and I have a tendency. Yeah, I agree with you there, you know. So, yeah. well, I, I appreciate the, the info. You know, I pretty much uh, was thinking just along your lines there, but I thought what, where maybe there's a hidden feature in this thing, but not really. Yeah, I'd love to say you so. found a secret gem, but I, I, I don't think it is. <laughs> Sorry, Albert. <laughs> I hope uh, I hope the rest of your listeners now are paying attention and and, and maybe just shy away from it. All. Yeah. You know, three fifty on an eight dollars stock that's a that's a pretty nice return if you can get it just on an overnight basis. <laughs> well, that's true, but but again, it's yeah, like yeah. smoke and mirrors there. <laughs> it sure is. It sure is. Well, gentlemen, I, I think I'm I may sign up for your uh, uh, your Thursday evening. Uh, uh, workshop here. I've been listening uh, about a year here, and I've I heard about these workshops. I've never had a chance to get to one here, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to the website and see if I can sign up for it and see if I can learn a little more. Well, that'd be great. We'd love to see you there. Make sure you come up and say hello. I sure will, and thank you, Ron, uh, for your time today. All right. Albert, thank you. Have a good day. 
Bye-bye. You too. Bye-bye. All right. That opens the phone line, 866-577-2473. That's 866-577-2473. Let's go up to Temecula and speak with Joe. Joe, you are on the Smart Investor Show with Brent Chase. How can we help you? Yeah, hey, good morning, guys. Good morning. Yeah, I'm looking. Uh, I'm looking to uh, uh, reinsurance uh, companies, and there's two that I kind of caught my eye. Uh, RE, but the one I'd like you to look at is RGA Reinsurance Group of America. Okay, so you you're looking at buying it. Uh, you you don't have it yet, is what you're saying. I ha- I have a small position, and I entered a while back, and I'm looking to add to that. Uh, and I think it's it's starting to get a little uh, more appealing again. Okay. What do you got on numbers, Chase? All right. Well, let's take a look at the industry comparison here, starting with valuation ratios. Again, company name, Reinsurance Group of America, ticker symbol here, RGA. Let's look at the valuation ratios. Current PE, 9.2. It is above the industry average of 7.9, but, hey, I'm, I'm good with the price earnings multiple of 9.2. That That is a, a good valuation ratio. Uh, current price of sales, 0.5, below the industry average of 0.9. Wow, price to tangible book value, 0.56, below the industry average of 0.9. I mean, you're paying 56 cents on the dollar for the tangible assets of this company. I mean, that that's almost too low. Why in the world is it trading at these ratios? It, it tells me one or two things. It's either a great value or there's something potentially wrong with this company be trading at a valuation like that. Looking at the current price to cash flow at 14.5, it is above the industry average 7.8. But overall, I'd say the valuation ratios do look good. Uh, dividend, nice 2.6% yield on this business, and they only use 22% of their earnings to pay that out. Sales over the last 12 months, they have climbed 10.9% above the industry average 10.3%. And earnings are up 36.2%, while the industry average is up 92%. But I, I am still okay with, of course, 36% growth on those earnings per share. Looking at the financial strength of the business, a little bit different since it is an insurance company. There is no current ratio, but debt to equity of 26% does look better than the industry average of 27%. Uh, no return on capital. Return equity would like to see this higher. It's just 6.4, while the industry is at 10.5. Profit margin, 5.2%, while the industry average is 11.2. And no receivable turnover and no inventory turnover as well. With that, uh, what are we looking like going forward? Yeah, I look at the Reinsurance Group of America, symbol RCA. I see they, they close on Friday at $111.19, down $1.98. Uh, looking at the 52-week range, have a low of $90.23, a high of $134.93, so just about in the middle. The market cap, pretty good, $7.56 billion. Now, when I go out to look at the analysts, we go out to December uh, 2022. I see we have nine analysts. They're looking for an average estimate of $14.08. Now, i got to point out that's a big increase from 2021 was only $9.30. So what is causing this to go up by $5? I'd want to know the answer to that question. But with that said, for that uh, earnings estimate of 2022, you got to target a sell price of $233.73. That would give you 110% growth on the stock. So I like this, but I really would want to understand these numbers. And again, mostly, how could you have an increase in earnings in one year from, well, about $5 a share? You got to figure that out because that could be a one-time hit, and then maybe in 2023 goes back down to nine, and then the stock could fall. So understand that, but I I think it's worth a look into because I like the reinsurance business. I think it's a good clean business, but be careful. All righty. 
Great. Thank you. Thank you for calling, Joe. Bye now. Bye-bye. All right. That does own the phone line. 866-577-2473. That's 866-577-2473. And Chase, it's so important. I mean, and this is why we do the workshops and stuff, to understand the numbers. Because if you just focused on that one thing, we're like, wow, target sell price 222. Like you'd say, yeah, this is a great buy. But you've got to understand the numbers. I tell people, anybody can read the numbers but you got to understand what you're reading. It's kind of like anybody can read the, the words off of a French you know, language, but do you understand what you're yeah. saying? That's the important part. Same thing here. Cause I didn't even realize that till I was looking at the, the uh, numbers going forward and you, and to be an analyst, you really got to question and a good investor question things. Don't just take them as they are yeah. question. Like, well, how can that be? That just doesn't make any sense. So. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's not just, there's a number. Yeah. That's what it is. There's always a story kind of behind the numbers. Yeah, Always question things and uh, be, and I remember this one guy I met many, many years ago. He goes, do you have a, I think he called it a jaded eye or jagged eye or something. I go, what do you mean? He goes, do you look at things from the bad side, not always the good side? Because you want, if you don't, and we've talked about this before, you're just going to buy things that you probably shouldn't buy. You've got to make sure there's not problems with that. And and again, we said we like the reinsurance business, but something just doesn't look right with a 50% increase in earnings uh, one year there. So And, and yeah, I mean, it, but that's the thing too. It could all be accounting. So, I mean, it, yeah. it's that's the hard thing about these financial companies is sometimes the accounting's a little bit different. And uh, I mean, that's why we always take things from the accounting perspective, but you also have to be able to understand the numbers. Yeah. And, and this is why we do, we do the workshop, which again is coming up this Thursday, uh, the 23rd, I believe it is. Yeah. 23rd at six o'clock is to show people the thinking that we do and how we analyze things and how we understand things and how to help them become smarter investors. You know, we're, we're going to talk about how to invest and we get, we could have some volatility coming up, how to invest during that time frame, uh, investing to build wealth and how you want to get to retirement. I'm going to show you that. And it is a place to learn about the fundamentals of investing and the strategies we use to find good value companies. It is free, but what you have to do is you have to sign up. Go to our website, smartinvesting2000.com. That's smartinvesting2000.com. You can sign up right there at the website. You can also call the office, speak with Brianna, 858-546-4306. That's 858-546-4306. You'll get you signed up. I look forward to seeing you this Thursday evening, 6 o'clock in Scripps Ranch. All right, phone number's here, 866-577-2473. That's 866-577-2473. Let's go to San Diego and speak with Ray. Ray, you're on the Smart Invest Show. Brent Chase, how can we help you? Yeah, good morning, guys. Uh, <clears throat> uh, first of all, I'd just like to say I've really enjoyed your show. Uh, I'm new to... Uh, dabbling in the stock market uh, you know i kind of find it pretty fascinating uh kind of become a hobby of me uh, uh studying it a little bit but i am new and i uh don't don't uh don't know much yet but um i have a, a co-worker friend um who's a little bit more heavily into it than i am and he's uh <clears throat> He's uh, uh, he does he does uh, invest in the stock market and he has a, uh, a stock that he's really trying to sell me on <laughs> <laughs> and I'm uh, <clears throat> I'm just curious what your take is on it. It's a Chinese company. They're in the uh, uh, electric car business. Uh, it's the company is N I O Neo. 
Okay. We'll, we'll take a look at that. And I, I do want to point out here as well, Ray, you said you're new to the market. There are different type of investors. When you say Chinese company, the friend that you're dealing with, he could be a very high risk investor, uh, kind of going for the, the the long shot, so to speak. You can be more conservative. So make sure you understand what, what your philosophy is. But let's start with a Neo Incorporated. Do you have the numbers on that, Chase? I do. I do. do. And okay. uh, I, I do have some comments on China and kind of investing in China that, that I'll, I'll kind of discuss after we go over the numbers. But uh, look at the valuations for, for Neo Inc. And it is a newer high risk company, I would say, because the valuation ratios is what we call growth companies, the way I'd put it, right? It's not a value company, it's a growth company. And the reason that I can tell that is right now there's no price to earnings multiple. The company has no earnings. The industry average though is about 58.3. Price to sales at 14.4, just well, well above the industry average of 2.9. Uh, gosh, I mean, you look at companies like you know, Ford, General Motors, they trade nowhere near 14 times sales. So that is a very high multiple. And price tangible book guy at 15.2, also well above the industry average of 8.3. You don't get a dividend with this company, but as I said, it's a growth company. This is why people are excited about Neo and go, oh, it's an electric car maker in China. You're going to tap this huge market. It's so exciting. And the growth rates are phenomenal. You see the sales growth at 182.3% versus industry average 17.7%. And kind of surprised by this, earnings were only up 30% when the industry average up about 1,100%. So uh, that is a little bit strange, but that's the allure to it is the, the excitement over the growth. We don't like to get sucked into that hype. We, again, are what we call value investors. Now, I do look at the balance sheet. The balance sheet looks pretty strong for the company. Good current ratio of 2.5, which means they have plenty of liquidity. Debt to equity of 58.8%. It's also in a very good spot. Management effectiveness, no return on capital, no return on equity as there is no earnings, and of course, no profit margin with negative earnings. Now, receivable turnover looks very strong at 14.9%, or excuse me, not 14.9%, just 14.9%. The industry average is 3.7%, and inventory turnover at 142 is above the industry average of 9.3%. With that, uh, got any numbers that are going forward? Yeah, well, they, they did close at $37.51 on Friday. They're up $0.42, cents or 1.1% on Friday. Uh, looking at the 52-week uh, high and low for this company, the low has been 16.75, and the high has been 66.99. And and Ray, that's one thing I want to realize when you're in the growth growth companies, you're going to have a lot of volatility. Being new to investing, sometimes that's hard to handle because you might see something drop 10, 15, 25 percent. You might say, "I'm out," and perhaps that could be time to buy into it. Now, again, it is a Chinese company. They do have a market cap of $61.46 billion. And that's if you take all the shares outstanding time, the number of shares, uh, share price, you will then get that $61 billion. So kind of crazy. And as Chase said, they've not made money. I did go out uh, for the analysts here to see if they're making money going forward. Going out to the year ending December 2022, they're still expected based on the mean of 18 analysts to use lose 11 cents. Now the worst estimate is a low of 39 cent loss. Someone does expect them to make 32 cents in uh, December 2032, but I'm just not kind of liking that uh, you're buying a company here, a Chinese company who we don't know exactly what they're doing over there. They're not projected to make money for a couple of years. Very high risk investment. What worries me most is that a new investor sometimes does something like this. They lose money and they say, oh my gosh, the stock market's a crazy place. It's, uh, you lose money there, I'm never going to invest again. Yeah, and I, I would say, Ray, for us, when we invest... Uh, China is a no-invest zone, and, and I'll tell you why. Uh, you look at companies like Alibaba, you look at some of their technology companies over there. I mean, China is stepping in right now and saying, 
Nope, you can't play video games during the week. Can't do it. <laughs> oh, the companies. Yep, you're held responsible for it. Alibaba. Yep, we're gonna crack down on your technology. You have. You can't combine the finance company. Oh, yep, gaming companies like uh, you know, the the Macau gaming. Nope, can't do that anymore. There's new regulations. I. I this is kind of a different idea. But what if all of a sudden there's a new type of car that's out there and like, oh no, you can't sell electric cars anymore. Neo would be decimated. So. I mean, China just has so much control, and there's so many questions over the accounting that goes on there. Neo could explode and go higher, but the the risk is very, very high when you invest in China. And also, Jay, there was a company called, was that Link Coffee? Was that the name of it? Uh, uh, Luck It. Luck It Coffee, that they were trading around, gosh, I think uh, $200 a share. It was doing phenomenal. All of a sudden, oops, the accounting was not really there, and they fell by, I think, like 90%. So... Uh, your, your friend may do very well with this. It is a, we will put it in the Campbell category. I mean, Neo could go to 30, you know, from 37 up to 60 to hundred. We just would not do in our portfolio because we are more concerned about preserving the capital, the principal than trying to shoot for the offenses. And all of a sudden you strike out and you have nothing left. So, uh, we would say this is not a buy, uh, listed many reasons not to. So I hope that helps you out. Uh, and what I would recommend, uh, Ray is you, you do get our newsletter, uh, watch our YouTube video, um, follow us on social media, and the radio show will try to help you become a smarter investor as time goes on. Okay, great. Well, um, yeah, that, I thank you very much for all that information. Yeah, you know, it's. Uh, uh, I don't think I need to be uh, getting into high-risk stuff like that, but, you know, I didn't know for sure uh, what you, what your take was on it, so I appreciate, appreciate the info, and... Uh, uh, we'll just be real careful on that one. So uh, thank you very much, guys, and I, I, I love your show. I'll keep listening every Saturday morning. Well, thank you, Ray. Thanks for listening, and maybe this Thursday you can attend the workshop. Might help you out, too. Yeah. Yeah, I'll look into that. Okay. All right. Have a good one. Bye-bye. You, too. All right. Thanks, guys. Bye-bye. All right. Uh, that does open the phone line, 866-577-2473. That's 866 577 Two four seven three, and Chase. Uh, so important, like with a new investor, I'm so worried because I've heard this before from people. I'm sure you've heard it. Oh, the stock market's so risky. Well, it's because you did risky things, and that was all you kind of knew. Uh, and and that's why I think we do have so many listeners, so many followers, because we're not talking about the craziness of of investing in stocks. And we always talk about it's not a stock market, but a market of stocks. There is a right way to do it you're still going to have volatility. But I, I just, I, when people, you know, you, you go out to a party, you see somebody, oh, stocks are so risky. No, they're, they're really not if you know what you're doing. But if you know what you're doing, they are going to be risky. I mean, I, I was driving and had a couple of thoughts this morning. Just kind of, I, I don't know why I was thinking about that. Um, I guess I'm just always thinking about investing in different things. Right. <laughs> but the, the thing I was considering is, you know, there's this idea of the efficient market theory and that, Markets are efficient and everything's baked into them. So, you know, just buy the market, basically. And I don't subscribe to that because the thing that makes it not efficient is emotions. And people are so yeah. emotional. And they buy things on a whim and they sell things on a whim. And then, oh, my gosh, the stock market's crazy, as you said. It's because you, you can't account for the emotions of an investor, which is why I don't like to just buy the market, which is why I don't think the market is efficient. You can find opportunities where companies get oversold or companies that are bought too frequently and now it's too expensive. So I, I don't subscribe to that theory. But the, the thing I wanted to mention as well is you kind of see it over history where, you know, in the late 90s, so many people got 
involved in investing. And it's great. Things just go up. They go up. They go up. And then all of a sudden they go down. And investors that are newer, and I'm glad that more people are getting involved in investing, but I do worry they're not taking the time to understand the history of investing and understand what they're buying. Because the problem is those people that don't take the time to realize the volatility is those are the ones that are going to be very quick to sell when we have a correction. We haven't had, you know, since COVID last year, like a lot of people got involved. Things have just gone up pretty much. It's yeah. so easy. You know, stocks, they just go up. It's fine. Or if they go down, they'll just come right back. That's not how investing works. And the people that are going to be the first to panic are going to be the newer investors. So you really need to take your time to educate yourself on how investing works. That yes, you have losing months. You have losing years at times as well. But those people that are newer, I do worry. Things go down. They get in at the peak. They buy the meme stocks. It's like, oh, stock market's risky. Yeah. And, and investing is a hard game. And, and and again, I let people know. I mean, we've got clients that come over. They've been over for three to six months. Like, well, I haven't made any money yet. What's going on? Investing is not a three to six month game. And I've told people, if you come to us and you say, well, I'm going to need this money in two years, but I'll give you a shot. We'll say very nice meeting you, but we're not for you. When we're investing, we are looking for three to five year time frame, and you should be as well as an investor. Because if you're not, if you're saying, "Well, I'm going to see what happens over the next six months," you're doing nothing more than gambling. I don't care if you're buying the safest companies or not; you're still gambling because of the volatility that can happen there. And it's and this is why there's many people that unfortunately get to retirement and don't have the best retirement. I uh, we recorded the segment will be on uh, KSI on on uh, Monday. But I talked about when you retire, do you want a Motel 6 retirement or do you want a Ritz-Carlton retirement? It depends on how you invest. If you keep all your money in cash because you don't understand what you're doing, you're afraid, you're probably going to have a Motel 6 retirement. But if you're smart about investing and you do the right investments and you don't panic or say, oh, it's been six months, I haven't made any money, uh, it's just not working, you're, you're, you're not going to make the Ritz-Carlton uh, retirement side. Yeah. Yeah. So. No, I, I mean, it's important to understand the investing because it is so important we we've really stressed i, I you know I, I didn't think we were going to talk about inflation day on the show because we hit it pretty hard last week but it's just such a prevalent topic right now mm-hmm. and it, it's so important that people understand that because if you just sit in cash and we have let's say sustained four percent inflation or if you have bonds and we have oh, sustained four yeah. percent inflation you're not going to be keeping up with that and your purchasing power is going to decline substantially over the next decade. And we do talk about that at the workshop as well. And I mean, and, and just to kind of give you a little tease here, when you talk about that, you say, okay, so if you're earning 2% and inflation's 4%, you're going backwards. Also add to that equation that not only you only earning 2%, not four, but that 2%, you got to pay tax on it if it's not a tax deferred account. So now you're even further behind <laughs> the eight ball. You will never get ahead. So you've got to understand investing. That's why we do the workshops. That's why we do the newsletters. That's why we do the radio show. Uh, and, and again, I've had clients for 10, 15, 20, 30 years have stuck with me because they understand they've done very well over time. And we didn't make them billionaires, but we made it to where they have a very nice retirement. They have a good, uh, they can sleep at night as well. And they understand that, yes, things fluctuate, but they know what we own. That's, that's why we do the workshop. And again, if you like what we're saying, you're saying, gee, I, I kind of wish I felt that way about investing. You need to come to the workshop. It is going to be this Thursday, September 23rd um, at 6 p.m. We're going to talk about all these things to help you understand more about investing, what investing is, how we do it, and how you can have a emotionless retirement 
and investing if you understand what we're doing. I, I don't get emotional about this stuff. And yeah, uh, and it's always nice when, yeah, things go up. Oh yeah, I made 20, 30, 40%. That's so great. doesn't happen all the time, but you can't feel down if like, oh my gosh, you know, bought that investment and it went down 10, 15%. Who cares? You bought it for three to five years. That business is what counts more about it. You did bring up inflation. So let's talk about inflation a little bit because it did come out uh, uh, somewhat weaker than expected uh, this past week. CPI rose by 5.3% annually compared to last month's 5.4%, while analysts are pointing to the uh, report as proof that inflation is, <laughs> this is what they're saying, is transitory. And it, as the PPI's gain was 8.3%. Yeah. And, and, it's just interesting when you, yeah, you see the, the reason is because it's decelerated. So it's transitory. We're, we're seeing these things, but I just continue to believe it's going to sprinkle itself among different mm -hmm. industries and it's going to be passed around at, at these higher levels. And, and you mentioned that 8.3% gain in the PPI. And, and that's what really does have us worried. And, and the other thing is the energy transportation costs. They do not appear to be declining anytime soon. We already talked about this in the show. It is a, a big, big concern. And companies have to pay for transportation and energy. And if, again, as we said, if they're paying more for those two items, yeah, you got to increase your prices. Yeah. yeah. And, and these are important things you have to kind of look at. Oh, we can't get no calls. I just saw Brandon just got up and walked out. Uh oh, <laughs> so don't call now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, he went to a different office. Okay. <laughs> but, um, I mean, you've got to understand this stuff as well. What's going on with inflation, the economy, um, you want to join the show, you got a question. Gosh, I, I just realized we're not taking a call in, in uh, probably about 10, 15 minutes here. Give us a call here at the uh, studio, 866-577-2473. And again, I'll give you the secret. Kind of told you right now, if you're trying to get on through, not being able to get through before, we've got about 15 minutes left. Right now, all phone lines are open. 866-577-2473. Again, that's 866 577 Two four seven three, Jason. I, I want to kind of shift gears here a little bit and talk about the the real estate market because we we've talked about uh, how rising home prices will reduce the number of buyers in the real estate market. Well, according to the National Association of Realtors, they estimate that there are now four point eight million fewer fewer prospective buyers who can actually afford a home than in two thousand nineteen. Yeah, I mean, this is another sign that housing prices could be reaching their peak. Again, uh, affordability is very important uh, for buying a house because it's oh, yeah. such a, a large, large ticket item. If people can't afford to buy it, well, this is a supply and demand market that removes a portion of the demand for that market could could cause some problems. And even on the investing side, if people can't afford rising rents, well, now you buy it as an investment property, you aren't able to rent it out as high and yeah. recoup your investment there. So it does tell me that the, the market is... Again, going to maybe start to reach that equilibrium over time where supply and demand will be a little bit more balanced, which I, I think does mean housing prices need to stabilize and, and come down a little bit. And, it, and I don't, I still, people are like, oh, you think there's going to be a huge crash and I'm no. waiting to buy a house until it drops 20%. I don't think that's going to happen. Yeah. And you might get ones that maybe drop maybe 5 to 10% because somebody needs to get out of that house quicker. They moved or whatever and they, they need to sell that house. You might be able to find those. but And also, too, when we give these numbers, they are nationwide numbers. Things can be different in different markets here in San Diego. But I don't think San Diego is too far off because there's only so much money that goes around. And I yeah. do know a lot of the our real estate did well here in San Diego because of people selling in the Bay Area, using that money to come down here and pay the higher prices. Well, that's not a continuous thing that's going to keep going on. And also, too, somebody has to pay the higher prices up in the Bay Area. And if the Bay Area is starting to kind of slow down, because I believe 
a lot of tech companies saying, sure, you can work in Arizona. Sure, you can work in Nevada. So that's going to hurt their housing market. So mm -hmm. again, like you, I don't see a crash, but I do see that things could slow down. Um, and just something you have to kind of realize that don't get too excited about jumping into something at a high price because you think you're going to miss it. And I, I will say I, I am feeling a little bit more confident in the housing market. Uh, not that we're going to have big gains, right. but, but things are starting to normalize. I did see bidding wars have declined. So you're, you're not having as many, you're not getting like 50 offers in a single day on a house. You, right. you know, that tells me that things are starting to normalize. I hope people aren't still waiving inspections and, and waiving uh, the appraisals for the homes, mm -hmm. uh, that, that'll tell me once that craziness is gone, I, I think the, the concern over the frothiness of that market would decline. But, but again, I, I don't think you're going to see 15% annual gains in, in housing right. prices like we've right. been seeing. And on social media, I had a realtor that kind of disagreed with me on that saying, Oh, uh, I'm, I'm reading it and I see all the activity and so forth. And I almost feel like, yeah, you're too close to see it because it's like the, you can't see what is it, the, the forest through the woods that you're, you're there already. And yeah, the activity is still there. But I tried to say to myself, well, just think about the qualifications that you have. And, and again, try to look at the numbers. And uh, sometimes realtors are too close to it because they just see the current activity and think, well, everything's great and can't project forward six, 12 months because everything looks good now. But again, you as you brought a good point, I'm not, I'm not seeing... Oh, you know, there's, there's, you know, these hot buying right now. And, and the, these friends who I put on the, I put on the market today and, and you don't, tomorrow I got a hundred, hundred thousand over offer. You're not hearing that anymore. Yeah, no, it's definitely a decline. And, and you got to remember that housing prices, it, it's kind of like we talk about stocks with the PE ratios and the, the price of sales multiples. Mm -hmm. I mean, housing prices are really still a function of what I like to call the price to rent ratio. Yeah. So it's, well, what can you recoup in rents if you were to rent out that house? That's going to be a valuation on that home. And also it's a function of incomes. So right now we've seen those multiples on the homes expand. So there's not as much room, I think, for multiple expansion on these homes. That's right. And you're kind of limited to, well, what can you raise rents at? Here in San Diego, I think you're capped to raising rents at 4% a year, mm -hmm. which would ultimately be, I think, the most you could see in the housing price increase here. And I think that the multiples actually need to contract on the homes, not expand. And then also incomes. Are incomes and rents going to climb at 15% a year? No, there's yeah. no way. So yeah. I think it's going to be capped. I, I'd be shocked if over the next 20 years, homes do 1% to 2% per year. And also, too, we did see this uh, past Or more week. than 1% to 2%, yeah. excuse me. Uh did see the 10-year uh, uh, treasury start to push 1.4% again. Mm -hmm. And that's not a good thing for housing. We're going to, again, it just goes to 2%. I mean, because I think right now, 30-year mortgage, I'm going to say is around 28 uh, I, I And I kind of hear it different times throughout the week. Uh, you see that at 3, 2, 3, 5, it's going to really take some people that, well, now they can't qualify. And again, you, you don't, people don't have a cash for the house. Some do, some don't. But you have to go to the bank and qualify, and they say, oh, well, now your payment's going to be X dollars versus Y dollars before. Uh, sorry, you don't qualify. Well, I mean, you talked about affordability. If interest rates go up, now all of a sudden your monthly payment goes up, uh, the housing price would need to come down to make it the same affordability as yep. it was with uh, you know, lower interest rates. So as those interest rates climb, I, I do worry that housing prices will have to decline because, as you said, people won't be able to afford it because, well, now I'm paying more on in the interest. I only have so much that I can pay on my mortgage. And again, mortgage is a function of paying off principal and interest. Yeah, yeah. Got to understand the whole concept. And don't forget about taxes. Don't forget about the repairs, the maintenance of a house. That's very expensive. And actually, 
You know, some people do that like, wow, I didn't know it's that expensive to maintain a house. Yeah, it's expensive. All right, phone number is 866-577-2473. That's 866-577-2473. And before I go to Dylan, I do have to say it's expensive for people like me because I got to hire somebody to do it. Now, if you are handy and you maintain <laughs> your own house, you might do a little bit better. I just want to clear that for people because I know that some people work on their house, mow their own grass and so forth. I'm not a handy guy. I love reading financial reports and so forth, but I'm not very good at fixing things because I think, well, that's a four-hour project. I can do it in 15 minutes. I don't know why it didn't won't come out good. Let's go out to San Diego and speak with Dylan. Dylan, you're on the Small Invest Show. Brent Chase, how can we help you? How you doing? This is Dylan. Very good. How you doing? I'm good. How are you guys? Good. What can I do for you? I just wanted to talk to you guys about a stock I just recently bought. Um, I'm fairly new to the market as well as some of your other callers have said, but... uh. It's a company called Lucid, and uh, the hope is that they kind of compete with Tesla. It's an it's a electric car maker, you know. So right. uh, I just bought a few shares a few days ago. I didn't want to jump into it. A buddy of mine told me about it, and I didn't want to, you know, risk a whole lot right away. But I think I got it at $19 a share, and I think it's already up to 22 I was just kind of curious what you guys think that will be in about two or three years. Yeah, well, well, let's see. We'll take a look at some numbers here for you. See what it looks like. Uh, Chase, what do you got for the numbers there? Yeah, so again, the the company here is Lucid Motors. Ticker symbol is LCID, and I, I know that this stock did pop the other day as I think they got like a 500 mile range or something mm-hmm. on one of their vehicles, which was the best in the industry. And I I have talked to a couple of clients actually that that bought one of these cars and they said they, they look awesome and everything i haven't really dealt with them too much but um you know let's take a look at the numbers here see if there's anything that we can look at unfortunately uh no price to earnings for this company i i don't even know if they've delivered any vehicles yet i, I think they still might be in that phase of taking orders and, and going through the delivery process because i see no price to sales price tangible book value ouch 93 times that price tangible book value as the industry's at 8.4, so very expensive there, and no price to cash flow. Now, you don't get a dividend. I said no sales growth, no earnings growth, because there is no sales, no earnings. Balance sheet, though, I, I will say looks very, very good for this company. Current ratio, 0.8, has good liquidity, and total debt to equity is at 0.3%, so pretty much no debt on the balance sheet. Uh, again, no earnings, no sales, so can't get return on capital, return on equity, no profit margin, and no receivable turnover, no inventory turnover. Do you have anything going forward on this company? And then we'll kind of discuss a little bit more. Yeah, let me kind of look at the numbers where it's in and so forth. Because it did have a pop. And uh, and actually, this uh, BMA analyst said this is like the uh, Ferrari-Tesla company uh, because they, they kind of throw Ferrari in there. But uh, stock did have a pop on Friday of 8.46%, $1.79 to $22.96. So, yes, Dylan, you made some money on this company so far. Looking at the 52-week range, we see the low has been 960 The high, long way to go to get to that high again. $64.86. Now, they do have a large market cap of $37.16 billion, but that's because of all the shares and the price that they have on it. Uh, looking at, again, there's no analysts that follow this company. I, I, I've got to say, you, you, Dylan, you said you're also new to kind of investing. This is probably not the best place to start because you're either going to make a lot of money or you're going to lose a lot of money. Is it, do you like going to Vegas? Right. It's <laughs> kind of a far drive, but you know, casino. Yeah. Same thing, right? Yeah, it's, it's the same thing because you, I mean, this stock could go back to sixty-four, and you invested. I think you said nineteen dollars a share. You can say like, wow, the stock market game is so easy. I make so much money off it. 
but it is a form right. of gambling. There's a lot of competition out there for electric cars. We just did one early on the show. You got Tesla. And not to mention all the big car manufacturers like Ford and General Motors, they're making electric cars. So this does seem to be unique, but they're not making any money. Um, and there's, a could, and there's also a bunch of startup companies, too, like uh, Rivian. They're a California yeah. startup company. They're making the first ever p electric pickup truck, too. So yeah. that's going to be even more competition oh, on top of that. Yeah. So so you've got I something. Think to, well, go ahead, Dylan. I think, I think we've seen Elon Musk. All he has to do is open his mouth and things kind of go the other way. <laughs> that's right. I will say I do like the character of this company. I think they're the ones. Elon Musk was doing something on TV, and they took out a commercial <laughs> during him on TV to advertise their cars, <laughs> <laughs> trying to hit that Tesla crew. So I, I think that is kind of funny. But, uh, yeah, I mean, this one is just it, – it's really speculation because there's no numbers to look at here. It could do great. They could deliver cars, but that's the other issue is they haven't gone through car deliveries yet. Yeah. What if they start to hit some speed bumps, no pun intended, on, right. on uh, right. delivering those vehicles that could create some operational issues for the business? And, and what if the vehicle, when it comes out, doesn't do very well and they have fires in the car? I mean, Tesla's have. I mean, so there's a lot of risk here, Dylan. And I think as long as you understand that risk you're taking, you're fine to proceed. But understand that you could, you've made money now, you could very easily lose 50% of your money very quickly. So understand we're getting into it to be very exciting. And I, I see pictures of this car. It does look pretty hot. I'm a car guy. I like it. Although I'd never buy an electric car. But um, just understand it's a very speculative investment that you're into. All right. Thank you guys so much. All right, Dylan. Thanks for calling. Have a good one. All right. You too. Bye-bye. You know, that is interesting with uh, the fires uh, mm -hmm. in terms of the battery. And, you know, I'll bring up General Motors. I mean, they've been de dealing with that now on their Bolt for a while. But guess what? <laughs> GM has billions of dollars in cash. <laughs> where okay, that's fine. They have other vehicles that, that they sell and can recoup that. I, if a company even like Tesla or uh, even more so, a company like Lucid, if they had issues with the battery, they don't have as many vehicles that they can sell to kind of recoup those losses. And also, too, they, they don't have the, the same vault that GM has. It's right. Like, Okay, we, we can't produce these cars for a little bit. You know, it sucks. It's not good for the company, but not a, a long-term problem for the business. Where a company like this, it would be a long-term problem, likely. And, and actually, I just went to, I thought, well, I'll take a quick look at the balance sheet. I don't know if you can pull it up, but I tried to pull it up. Nothing came up, so. I already said there's no there's no debt. It, oh, there's no debt. Yeah, okay, it's, so it's okay. a very good balance sheet. Okay, but but again, how much cash do they have? And oh, I see like that. Yeah, yeah, a little, little more detail on the balance sheet. Uh, they could have some very risky assets to give them equity. They may have no equity. Uh, that's one thing you kind of kind of work with. But I think you also said too, they did not. They've not had a car on the road yet. Yeah, it looks like they have no sales. I mean, I, I bet no you they. I bet you they've had a car on the road. <laughs> I just they have. Right. They've, they've had a few cars, probably <laughs> test driving it, but I don't know if they've had. Uh, it doesn't look like they've had a delivery yet. I don't know when those will take place. And Brandon's over there. He goes, I'd like to buy one of those cars. No? Oh. <laughs> if I'm tired of Tesla, what do you think I'm going to feel about losing? Oh, there we go. <laughs> yeah. But but again, there's so much competition. Now, this is the, the next hot thing. And with hot things, probably, I don't know, year, two years down the road, the hot things could be gone. Uh, and, then, and I think the big car manufacturers, uh, Tesla's will still be around. Uh, sorry. Uh, Tesla's, Ford's, General Motors, there'll be one or two other car companies that kind of make it through. But Exactly. I was going to say that Lucid could be the one that makes it through, but also there's so many other ones that what if they're the one that doesn't make it through? So yeah. that, that's a big issue you got to be, be on alert of. And, and if Dylan holds on, 
Oh, you're good. I, I just I know we're winding down here. Yeah, we've got sure three we... minutes. You know, we'll, we'll go that real quick. Uh, yeah. let, let's go out to San Diego. Speak to Victoria really quick. Victoria, you're on the Smart Best Show, Brent Chase. How can we help you? Hey, <clears> thanks for taking my call. Sure, I have a question that? regarding the comments that you were making about the housing market in terms of the interest rates, and I just wanted to get you guys' opinion on on um, what you think would be the healthiest thing for the market in terms of the interest rates. I know that you touched a little bit about inflation. And if you were running the Fed, um, what do you think would be the healthiest thing to do? Oh, gosh. I wish we the star of the show had two hours <laughs> to talk about that, Victoria. Because there's so, I mean, that's such a great question. There's so many things to kind of discuss on that. And, and, and it's, I know, and you only have three minutes. So. Well, now I got Go two. <laughs> um, I, I'm, I'm trying to think real quick to give you a quick, good answer. And I don't think I can. Because you you did kind of catch. I got one. You got okay. Go ahead, Chase. I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you what that. I would do, Victoria. Yeah. I would make sure the tapering starts to wind down, kind of as yeah. they're doing. I would probably taper down a lot quicker. You can't. And what I mean by that is buying the bonds the way they are to yeah, kind of create that. Yep. Mm-hmm. So I would say I would taper a little bit quicker than they are, but you can't taper and raise rates at the same time. But that doesn't mean that the ten-year note can't rise until the Fed increases rates. So I think naturally you see the 10-year note rate uh, rise. And I think having low, low interest rates forever is just not a, a good thing. I mean, we've kind of seen that done in the past with like Japan. And it doesn't work out because you have people that are saving. They have no safe place to save. So I, I think a healthy yeah, I a healthy 10-year note should be around, I think, about 3% is yeah, where we should be. And sometimes you need to have that increase and that slowdown now because we all get excited about how fast things are growing and so forth and the, the real estate market's doing great. But that is not good because then right. it builds this big bubble down the road. So I agree with Chase. I mean, we should have some increase in interest rates, some slowdown here to protect things longer term because you hate these up and down movements where they're so crazy, you get seasick on them. If we stand this path of these low interest rates, we could have bigger problems down the road. Yeah. So. Yeah, thanks for the answer. Um, I think that we are probably already on that road just because um, the our, our debt, the monetization of our debt is um, is getting kind of out of hand in terms mm-hmm. of how much money we're we're spending. But hey, thank you and have a great day. I'm I'm off to work. Okay, Victoria, call us next week early in the show. All righty. <laughs> All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye-bye. Yeah, gosh, I wish I could have spent more time on that because it is a very important thing with the economy. There's so many moving factors to it, uh, and it is a good discussion to have. So hopefully we'll get that call early yeah. in the show next and week. And I, I want to be clear. I don't think the Fed's doing a bad job. I no. agree with a lot of what they're doing. I just think I would do it faster. Faster. Yeah, yeah, because it, it is kind of worrisome that, uh, again, I'm concerned about that buildup mm-hmm. that maybe not worked so well. Yep. So. But um, all right. Well, there's the uh, closing bell. Thank you for listening to Smart Investing Show. It is for an informational person only and should not be used as investment advice. If I discuss in more detail your investment needs, have other investment questions, feel free to call myself Brent Wilsey or Chase Wilsey at 858-546-4306. That's 858-546-4306. Or visit our website, smartinvesting2000.com. That's smartinvesting2000.com. And for more daily educational information on investment tips go to our facebook page smart investing with brent chase we'll see closing song is performed by uh roman palacis of frank sinatra's my way he'll actually be performing tonight at the reagan uh, lincoln reagan dinner looking forward to hearing him tonight live in person stay tuned uh next week we'll be here again smart investing show have a good day bye This program is sponsored by Wilsey Asset Management.